Well, hello and welcome to episode number 315 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and, well, I'm not in the P2K studios again this week because uh, across the, the, the town of Bungie, where we live, of course, in the P2K studios, as always, it's Matt Smith. Uh, we're not going to do the introduction then this week, no? <laughs> Oh well, we'll 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 just not do it then. That's fine. I know <laughs> that's a good start, isn't it? Lovely. Uh, yeah, yes, I'm yeah. fine, thanks, mate. Yes, I, I'm all good. Yeah, good. yeah, yeah. Living living the dream. Uh, there's. Uh, it's, uh, I'm going to do it just out of spite, really, because I, I I wrote it. So uh, yeah. you do it. You do it. <laughs> yeah. So what, in today's what is, news, what is coming up in today's show, mate? Brilliant. Yeah. So in today's. Uh, in today's show, news begins to surface as the financial burden becomes too much for some big names in passenger transport. Some customers are, f- are meeting resistance from their airline when trying to get refunds from their um, res- respective flights. And a new UAE low-cost carrier is granted its operating certificate. In the military, the impressive elephant walk ends USAF continuous bomber presence in Guam after 16 years. And Germany approves the Super Hornet slash Growler uh, to purchase to replace the Luftwaffe uh, the Luftwaffe's tornado fighter bomber. Um, yeah, so l- l- packed show tonight. We've got some fantastic guests as well. I say. Is, it, is it getting is it getting a bit strange now, Matt? The fact that every single week now you're on your own in the studio. Um, I, I'm. I, I, I'm kind of, yeah, it's really nice actually. I've got to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I, it's great. I mean, I've, there's there's no room for you left in here anymore. Everything's all over the, you know, it's all. I've got like three laptops in here. It's it's marvelous. I've got piles of you know Coca Cola and all sorts. It's all good. Yeah. There's one thing you haven't got though, Matt. What's that? Was well, one of these. No, I haven't got. A, no, I haven't got a beer actually. No, which was a bit of an error on my part, really. But there we are. Never mind. It's been a bit. We'll, we'll remedy that next week. Yeah, it's been a busy. It's been a busy old day. It's been a bit of a, a battle, shall we say, to get ready for to, tonight. So, uh, yeah, it's probably just as well I'm not three sheets to the wind. <laughs> so, as you may have noticed, we have a certain member of the team missing this evening. Nev is uh, unable to join us due to uh, to to business stuff that's going on because uh, obviously Nev does dabble in the kind of business world. So Nev's uh, not with us tonight, but he does yeah. send his uh, regards to everyone who's joined us tonight. But he was in the chat room. He, us... he was in the chat room. Oh, he, and also, he was in the chat room. Yeah, no, he was in the chat room and immediately pointed out that we didn't start on time. So, uh, you know, it, yeah, no, well. nothing gets past him. <laughs> but joining us uh, from across the pond in Charlotte is, of course, the absolute legend that is Armando. Hello, everyone. It is yet another beautiful day here in Charlotte, and I'm excited to be here for the show today. Now, I, I, I'm going to play a little bit of an experiment. I'm going to play a little game here. What has the temperature been in Charlotte today? Oh, I think it's probably in the high 60s. That's a great what, question. What's that in English? What's that in English? Yeah. <laughs> um, so what is it? Uh, 30, about 15 or so? Oh, wow. So we actually beat you today, then. Yeah. <laughs> The UK, has I, uh, a, East Anglia has had a rather, well, nosebleed territory of around of 21 degrees today here. It's been ridiculously warm. Wow. Yeah, I know. That never happens. Yeah, it is currently 12C, actually, here in, in Charlotte. Blooming heck. Okay. Next, next thing you know, Matt will be going to Lidl's, going down the aisle and purchasing a paddling pool. There's a very amusing story <laughs> attached to that. Too late. Already done it. Too late. Already done it. I was filling it up this afternoon. Uh, <laughs> oh, he only went in there for garlic. But anyway, I did, yeah. 
That's a common we, problem. Uh, That's the trouble with the Middle Island. <laughs> yeah. Never mind. Yeah, you, you go you go in there for for milk, eggs, and butter, and you end up coming out with a full um, seventy piece yeah. um, ratchet and spanner set. Yeah. Right. I must admit, I've not had that. Uh... Oh, I have. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, he's back. We've got him back on the show this week. We haven't had him on for a while, and uh, it's safe to not say that because of what's... the he three. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Not but because of what's going on in the current uh, world at the moment. He's obviously we can nab him whenever we like. So we've got him back. It is, of course, the absolute legend of a podcaster from the Layovers podcast. It is Paul Papadimitriou. Hi guys, how are you? Actually, we beat you, uh, Anglia. Here in London, it was 23, that's oh, what? 74 Fahrenheit or something? Oh. So, yeah, it was, it was nice. It was nice. I, I spent the week in the garden, actually. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm working. I, oh, right. Yes. I, I enjoy I, Yes, for, for, for a whole two and a half minutes, we were victorious. <laughs> Never mind. Yes. Actually, how are you finding lockdown, Paul? Because, I, mean, I mean, this must be so alien to you because you, 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 I mean, you're in the air constantly going from place to place, let's be honest. Yeah, but my introvert side is very happy to be to be honest, right? You know, when I, when I'm in London, actually, I'm very introvert. That's my introvert side taking over. I'm working mostly from home. I have an office in in central London, but I don't go. So I'm staying here. So for me, the change is not that big. I think honestly, I'm pretty happy. Of course, I'm privileged. I have a house or whatever. But yeah, no, it's fine. I mean, it's you know what? I don't know about you guys, but it feels like sometimes when you read all the news, including aviation, that we are looking uh watching a movie or something so it's there's a bit of like it's all this stuff is so incredible that it's like is it really happening because we're stuck at home and we don't really have a sense of it but, I, i'm trying to think what's yeah. the, what's what's those things the the films where you do um where you, you do these experiences don't you where you where you go to like a, a live action version of where you become part of ghostbusters or whatever it feels a little bit like we're sort of we suddenly become like the cast of uh, you know, outbreak or something like that. You know, it's all got a bit, it's all got a bit strange. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's uh, I, I've ne- yeah. I've never been so chilled out. It's it's bizarre, honestly. How, how are the cats, Paul? Oh, very good. They're 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 very happy that I'm here all the time. So they're gaining weight as I do as well, and I'm fast becoming uh, an alcoholic as well. Excellent. Which is, oh, yeah. I don't th- I don't think you're alone there, Paul. Uh, <laughs> I think I think we're all. But we're tonight, all... Uh, tonight I'm only on water. I'm not following yet. Uh, I mean, I had I had already white wine just before we started this, so right. I, I, I have yeah, a, 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 a head start. Yeah, and right, a beer so, as well. It's, it's a, it's oh, a white gosh. wine chaser with your water. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with no, that actually I'm, sur- I'm actually shocked Matt that you haven't got the gin out yet because it's very unlike you <sighs> yeah I know I, as I say it's been a bit of a mad uh, dash to, to get ready for tonight so uh, it's probably just as well I haven't <laughs> Anyway, uh, on that note, before we run out of time, <laughs> anyway, let's go. So uh, we we are going to start the show then, as we do each week with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if everyone is ready, yeah, let's go. Ready to go. So lots to get through in this first story because there's been a lot of doom and gloom as always this week with the airlines and some sad news as well. So the headline on the uh, first batch of stuff we've got to talk about, Virgin Australia entering 
voluntary administration. Virgin Australia has entered voluntary administration. The decision comes as the group continues to seek financial assistance from state and federal governments along with private parties. However, it's said it has yet to secure the required support. The group's board of directors has appointed voluntary administrators to the company and several subsidiaries. Uh, Velocity Frequent Flyer, while owned by the group, operates as a separate company, has not entered administration. Virgin Australia will continue to operate its scheduled international and domestic flights for transporting essential workers, maintaining uh, important freight corridors and repatriating citizens. Uh, The group said in its uh, current management team, led by CEO Paul Skura, will work closely with employees, suppliers and partners throughout the process. They said their intention is to undertake the process to restructure and refinance the business and bring it out of administration as soon as possible, uh, said Strawbridge, who is an appointed administrator. We have uh, commenced a process of seeking interest from parties for participation in the uh, recapitalization of the business and its future, and there have been several expressions of interest so far. Although ultimately forced into administration by the COVID-19 crisis, Virgin Australia found itself in need of restructuring even before the virus became a pandemic, uh, instituting what it called a significant transformation program to reset its cost base, including consolidating the workforce, simplifying the fleet, withdrawing from unprofitable routes and reviewing and renegotiating supplier agreements. So there's more bad news. Um, So we've got a summary of some of the biggest names in aviation that have been hit uh, and been in the news this week. South African Airways faces a wind down or liquidation after specialists appointed to try and save the state-owned airline said on Thursday they had run out of funds. While severance packages have been offered uh, to the workforce, South African government has said that it will work with trade unions to ensure a new financially viable and competitive airline emerges from the process although it reiterated that the government was not in a position to provide more capital to South African Airways. CityJet, uh, one that we've all heard of here, uh, the Dublin-based Irish carrier has entered into examinership, a legal process in Ireland akin to the US Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection, which grants insolvent firms protection from creditors after a Dublin court appointed Kieran Wallace of KPMG as interim examiner. So another one, struggling Air Mauritius have also entered voluntary administration after the board resolved with the coronavirus grounding it would not be able to meet its financial obligations in the foreseeable future. The company statement says that while substantial progress was made in developing from its business transformation program in January, the closure of borders and halting of air services because of the coronavirus has led to a complete erosion of the company's revenue base. The government has drafted in advisers to help decide the terms of state bailout for Loganair, another airline that we all know and love here in the UK. Uh, the regional airline, as in the aviation industry, reels from the coronavirus pandemic, uh, which obviously is not good news for many airlines across the globe. It's understood that the Department for Transport has retained Price Waterhouse Coopers, or PWC, to assist in negotiations with the regional carrier. Logan Air, which uh, typically operates more than 200 daily flights, has slashed its schedule by more than half as a result of the pandemic. Another one, Germanal Re- or German regional carrier LGW has filed for insolvency after Lufthansa low-cost subsidiary Eurowings terminated a wet lease agreement. 
LGW's parent logistics provider, Zegfracht Group, said Eurowings ended the deal at short notice in view of current developments. Having parked around 90% of its own fleet, LGW operated its 15 Bombardier, or as Matt's favourite word is... Bombardier! Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Q400 turboprops uh, exclusively on now. Eurowings. You better go and get one. <laughs> well, it says here that uh, they had a statement that said that we have made in- intensive efforts uh, to find employment for our LGW aircraft throughout Europe and will continue to do so, stated uh, LGW Managing Director Dominic Wehash. Uh, Norwegian Air, a parent company, uh, Norwegian Group, was forced to shut down four subsidiary companies that employed significant numbers of employees. The companies have filed for bankruptcy, meaning that 1,571 pilots and 3,134 cabin crew in Denmark and Sweden will lose their jobs. Norwegian has also cancelled crew provisional agreements with several of its jointly owned OSM aviation subsidiaries, which also impact uh, crew based in Spain, uh, UK, Finland, Sweden and the US. So I mean, I mean, um, this is this is an awful. I mean, it's a. Uh, we're sort of trying to get all the, the the big bad news, if you like, out of the way at the top of the show, really, because I mean, this is this is. I, I guess uh, we kind of all felt that this was a bit inevitable, wasn't it? That there were going to be some airlines that weren't able to survive this this awful um, pandemic. But and obviously, I'm sure I speak for all of us uh, on the show. Within our hearts, go out to all uh, our extended community affected by the the current climate, uh, no matter what your your industry really but uh, i mean th- this was inevitable wasn't it i guess um, mm. uh, what what, what, yeah. what are you, your thoughts paul uh, i mean this is probably just the start as well i mean it's yeah. uh, there was a headline as well today was it yesterday i think uh lufthansa group so that's lufthansa austrian swiss dolomiti and a few others uh they have like two weeks of cash and it's yeah. they said uh, it's bailout of go bust yeah. So, uh, I mean, yeah. probably the, a lot of them will be saved. Uh, in the case of the one you first mentioned, Carlos, uh, Virgin Australia, it was a bit of a debate if you followed that, guys, but less than 10% of the company's ownership is based in Australia. So, obviously, the Australian government was like, so are we saving an Australian company? Or are we saving a company that is owned by yeah. X and Y, you know, big yeah. financier from abroad? Of course, there's the jobs as well. So it's, yeah. That's where it's always complex. But, yeah, sadly... Yeah, and we're going to see probably more in the UK as well. I'm, I'm not sure about the state of, uh, honestly, of Virgin Atlantic either. The Delta yeah. said that they're not going to put any money in it. So it's, I don't know. It's, I mean, I, yeah. there's, there's been statements by uh, Richard Branson, I think, wasn't there this week, which was a sort of like a, a statement to the to his employees, if you like, and that, you know, he, even sort of saying that if he thought it would help, he'd put Mecca Island up for sale. Do you know what I mean? But it's... Uh, yeah. And, but uh, let's, let, let's not forget, sorry to interrupt, but let's not forget the bankruptcy proceedings, or the one that was mentioned for Logan Air, yeah. uh, I don't remember the, the term they're using, it doesn't mean that the company is completely gone. Oh, no. It means no, no, no. that, you know, uh, somebody can actually jump in and reinvest and rehire or keep some of the, the people in it. So it's, mm. it doesn't mean the companies are ending. It means they will be reshaped. But clearly, some of them might be disappearing. And more likely, actually, I think some of them will be consolidated. We'll have groups actually maybe per, perhaps, you know, uh, joining forces, etc. Yeah. Though in Europe, you know, every country wants to keep its own champions. So I don't know how that's going to play out, but yeah. 
the U.S. is, I, 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 I have a feeling the U.S. went into consolidation, maybe Armando knows better, but went into consolidation so many times already that they have, they have better balance sheets and uh, mm. they, they've consolidated the market already. They will also downsize. It will be smaller airlines at the outset of this, um, especially because, you know, all these government um, furloughs and all the support that you can give to all companies, not only airlines, is basically pausing the economy. So you have all your employees being paid by the government. That's the case here in the UK with 80% up to 2,500 pounds per employee. But that's pausing the thing because one day the government will say we cannot pay anymore or we don't want to pay anymore. And then the companies will say, okay, so if you're not paying, we need to lay people off. So mm. companies will downsize. It's, it's, it's no fun, to be honest. It's no fun no. at all. I mean, it's... It, as I say, it, it, unfortunately, it's probably one of those sort of inevitable things in in this situation because it's, uh, you know, com- companies if they're essentially unable to trade are just going to run out of money, aren't they? It's it's the harsh reality. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah. I, but I, I hope that the people, for me, like you said, uh, Matt, it's the people. It's all the you know the yeah, crew, the, the, the pilots, the staff, the ground staff, all these people. This is this is troubling. I mean, everyone. I mean, the travel industry, the travel operators. And, uh, two, sorry, tour operators, and travel agents, and etc. And and the remainder of the economy, it's not going to be a few the years you, ahead are going to be a little bit difficult. If, if we can, <laughs> you know, when we come out the other side of this, though, and I mean, obviously, there's been loads of debates about about how the industry um, sort of recovers from this and how long it's going to to take to do so. But what's the do you, Do you think there's uh, uh, do you think we're going to see travel travel levels like what we have been? I mean, I mean, obviously you've been doing lots of <clears throat> seminars and and things like that using like online meeting services uh, and such like. I mean, there's obviously no replacement, if you like, for hands-on sort of no. meet, meeting people. But I mean, do you do you think there is a a chance that uh, we perhaps won't go back to those kind of levels and actually people <sighs> are more used to you know doing things. In a in a virtual environment, and therefore, travel becomes less essential. Certainly, look, business travel. Look, look, eventually it might, because at the end of the day, the growth was there, and at some point, you know, emerging countries will pick up, the economy will pick up, but it will take time because you have the double whammy. You have, you know, tourists will want to travel, but might not have the means because if a lot of people lose their jobs or have to downsize, you know, have to downsize their budgets. Maybe, you know, travel will be less uh, priority because they just don't have the money to do so. And businesses, it's, uh, you know, they react very fast. They, they stop traveling extremely fast. They did that in, um, after 9-11. They did that uh, after 08, the, the financial crisis. Um, the, the, the very interesting dynamic here is indeed the one you just mentioned is that, of course, business travel will still exist, but if this drags on for a long time, uh, the question will be, okay, we realize that actually a lot can be done via tools like that. We don't, record, we don't need to travel as much, so the key travel will still keep happening, but maybe some other type of travel will not. And then you, you add on top that these companies will also have perhaps you know, financial struggles for a little while, so they will get into this mentality of saving up for two, three, four, five years, and sending only the key travelers, that will happen, but maybe not as much as we've seen. So it will take time. Will it actually go back to levels that pre-exist? At some point it will, because, you know, the planet is, uh, there's a lot of people that want to travel and will travel, but it might take much longer than some people might yeah. think. 
when people say, oh, Q1 2021, we're back, I'm like, no way. No, <laughs> Sorry. Quite, quite. Uh, well, I'll just take a couple of uh, comments in the chat room yeah. if I may, before we move on. Um, so Micah has got a couple of great points. As you said, many people believe that this really will be a good thing for Virgin Australia. Uh, it'll allow her to be owned by, the only one, by only one entity and try not to be all things to all people, which is kind of a good point. Uh, he also touches on the, um, the US uh, element to it, as you were, you were t- referring to. Paul is saying, from what I understand here in the USA, Southwest Airlines is currently the largest flying airline in the country uh, with more planes in service than any other, which is which is a bit of a surprise. I, 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 I'm not sure if he means uh, at the moment, though. Um, perhaps, perhaps he does. Perhaps he does. He well, is. the US is still flying, right? Yeah. Um, so our schedules are cut back pretty significantly, and that will continue in May from everything that I've heard in the industry that may will probably represent an additional 30% cut uh, in domestic air travel in addition to the 50 to 60% cut that's already taken place. Um, Southwest Airlines is in one of the better positions because they own a large portion of their fleet. Um, They don't owe money to people. However, that's not, there's a myth out there that Southwest owns all of their aircraft and that's not, entirely true. They just own most of them. But even Southwest Airlines, just like all the other majors, the protection packages that have been passed in in our Congress have an expiration date. So that's going to go through the end of the fiscal year, probably September 30th, during which time the airlines, like Paul is saying, will really reevaluate efficiencies and what routes are going to make them money, how each aircraft is profitable or not. Um, There was an announcement finally from uh, Delta that they were going to park their, they were going to retire their MD-88s and their MD-90s. So the airlines are are going to go through a pretty significant uh, reset button, if you want to call it that. I don't think that flying levels will be back to the to where they were at the beginning of this year or late last year for at least another two to three years. Okay. I think the airlines, like Paul said, will be smaller. And um, I think come October 1st, we're going to see a lot of uh, airlines actually furlough employees. They can't furlough employees right now because of the stipulations that are in the bailout money. Right. But uh, come October 1st, once that ex- expires, assuming things stays the stay the same um I, I i do believe that that we're going to see a lot of uh out of work and, uh, crew uh, just, just to reiterate because uh, i think we touched on this i think a, a few weeks back uh when when we say the word furlough uh the the meaning is very different in the u.s as as to what it is here in the uk isn't it because uh, i mean for example myself and carlos are, are furloughed uh and we are we essentially the government if you like is helping my helping our employers pay our wages uh or at least a large share of our wages if you like to keep us all going as where furlough means something different in the states yeah, that's correct. Furlough here in the U.S. generally means, hey, you're still an employee of the company. You're not getting any pay. Um, you're more than welcome to apply for unemployment be- benefits through your state government. Um, but but you are essentially out of a job. You're just t- still keeping your employee number and your benefits. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you, I think I think I think you're keeping your health benefits, right, Armando? 
Yeah, in most cases you are, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that's the big thing. Because here, here, since we have universal healthcare, obviously that doesn't, yeah. Less furlough easy. didn't exist. Actually, furlough didn't exist in the UK until this crisis. That oh, was yeah. not even a term that was used. But to, 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 there was a, a study made the other, the other week, I think it was in Skift, I'm not sure, that uh, it could be up to 100,000 jobs being lost in the aviation industry in the US. Because right now, it's not only that, it's the, it, you know, if you go on Flight Radar 24 or Plane Finder, you still see a lot of, of, of planes flying over the US, uh, but the load factors are super low. And as Armando very correctly pointed out, the, the CARES Act, this uh, bailout, basically, protection that was given to the airlines, which runs until the end of September, stipulates that some of the routes have to be flown. So the airlines are flying them because that's part of the deal, even though there's not a single passenger in it. And, and, and that's the thing to add to your earlier question, and I'm sorry to keep the microphone here. No, to add to your earlier question, there's, it's very interesting studies that are being made that, you know, the, 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 the debate now, everybody wants to have an end of this lockdown. We want to go back to real life. We like enough of this. I don't want to stay home anymore. Uh, but the, and, and so you see politicians declaring that the economy should be open. Uh, and a lot of studies and polls and surveys have been made. It's very interesting that to see that it's the people that will decide. Even if you declare the economy open, or even if you ask people to go back to work, and you know whether it's here in the U.S. or anywhere in the world, if you don't feel confident doing so, you will not. And it's, and, and and travel is even worse because travel is because of a, a lot of fear that has been activated. People will say, "Well, I might just decide not to." They tell me it's fine, but I do not trust it's fine. And I, and to the point, there was a very interesting article uh, by Open Table. You know, Open Table guys, it's this. Uh, booking system for restaurants. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they showed that the number of people booking restaurants in the U.S. before the lockdown, so before it was announced that you were supposed not to go out, was already like down 80%. So as soon as people lost confidence that it was safe, they stopped. It was not the government would tell them, hey, go home, and thus the, the businesses lost customers. Yeah. It's simply because people lost, lost confidence. And that's going to be, and IATA keeps repeating that every day, that's going to be the big challenge. It's not only to reopen the economy, but make every passenger uh, feel, trust, feel comfortable. Ha- yeah, yeah, feel comfortable about flying again. Yeah. Not only having the money, as I said earlier, because maybe they, they might have been furloughed or anything, but just saying, hey, do I feel comfortable going back into a plane do mm. i feel and that's going to be a big challenge i believe yeah. uh, right well i mean we, we probably should should move on just a couple of quick yeah, points I'm sorry uh, yeah yeah no sorry. not at all no uh, not at all as i say unfortunately i suspect this is a subject that we'll be coming back to perhaps not in the too distant, fu- distant future unfortunately as you say there dedicate are... a show uh, yeah well no i don't want to do that but <laughs> no no that's <laughs> but, uh, no please. But, uh, but as i say as, as we were sort of alluding to in there i don't think this is the last that we're going to hear of obviously you know airlines running out of money uh, is the long and the short of it i just wanted to quickly uh micah has very kindly come back and just sort of uh clarified what he meant he meant actually currently southwest is flying more aircraft than any other airliner during this crazy time uh, and uh, john jester i just want to squeeze in there because he said having been furloughed four times you lose all benefits uh, you can oh, wow uh, you can pay through the nose to have cobra coverage for medical uh, this means you can pay full rate uh, you can you pay full rate uh, which you can which you can often beat by shopping around so uh, yeah mm. it's uh, it's not, not really the news some people many people were hoping for as i say unfortunately we probably will end up coming back to this uh, this story soon but uh, we should probably so, move on story number two for matt and uh, obviously the world is is um, coming to an end at the moment as we all know yeah, yes, and yes. Uh, <laughs> everyone's gone on about coronavirus but in this particular environment we're in in this story, 
people are nicking stuff. I know, absolutely. It's, it's almost. Do you know? Sometimes it's like it's like when we mentioned the word Brexit a few weeks ago. Do you know what I mean? It it made me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. You know, oh how I've missed it. Uh, anyway, story number two is not a Ryanair story this week, um, but uh, uh, it's coming from the Kimberley Bulletin, uh, and, and the, the headline is: No nighttime flights are allowed to leave or land in uh, Grand Forks until a certain piece of equipment has been replaced. So an Easter weekend break-in and theft at an airport beacon site on Hardy Mountain near Saddle Lake means that planes cannot land at night in Grand Forks right now. The Grand Forks RCMP learned of the incident on the on 17th of April but said in a release that they believe the crime occurred on the 9th of April between 7.30 and 8pm. According to investigators, components of the electricity generating and navigation equipment at the site were stolen uh, including solar system parts uh, alternative fuel generators and ethanol fuel cells without those components the site will be inoperable for the foreseeable future uh, the city said in a statement uh, Grand Forks RCMP pin uh, the estimated cost of the items stolen at a staggering $40,000 uh, the beacon is one of six in the region that uh, aid pilots in navigating around the boundary without it night flights to to or from the Grand Forks Airport are not allowed under Transport Canada guidelines, such as a restriction could put a strain on services across the uh, Kootenay boundary, as uh, Grand Forks has the only night uh, flight-capable airport in the region. Uh, the West Kootenay uh, Regional Airport in Cattlegar, for example, is unable to accommodate night flights due to its surrounding terrain and lack of runway lighting. Thanks to its geography and lights, the Grand Forks Airport is also... Now, somebody explain to me, is this Go T0? What does that mean? Oh, is, oh, oh, oh right, it is... Uh, sorry, typo. So, <laughs> it's a shame, isn't it? Go to. It's also the go-to <laughs> airport for emergency medical flights <laughs> at, at night as well. In 2019, 27 fixed-wing medical flights uh, were use, uh, used the boundary one way. The city said that the equipment suppliers have been contacted in order to repair the beacon, but no timeline had yet been confirmed. So, I mean, forgive my uh, naivety here, but what on earth is somebody going to do with an airport beacon? Well, I think it was all the the peripherals things. It's yeah. the generator. It's all the that's some very expensive equipment that yeah. they they took. You know, and and intrusions, criminal intrusions into airports are unfortunately very common. You hear a lot about avionics being stolen from aircraft. Sometimes they know what they're looking for. Other times they're just they just know that they can sell them on on the black market for increased prices. But I remember being at my local airport one day and there was somebody inside of the decided to make inside of the fence that housed the ADSB tower. So this was up in one of the here in North Carolina and uh, the airport employee just kind of asked the guy, it's like, what are you doing here? He's like, Oh, I'm just poking around, just checking around. It's like, why are you inside of this tower? You know, and it's the same thing. It's It's got generator, a backup generator to it. It's got expensive. Sometimes people are trying to steal copper, copper wire and things like that. It's just uh, amazing what people will resort to. And I don't know. I just looked up where Grand Forks, because there's a Grand Forks, North Dakota, but, uh, but apparently this was up in British Columbia. So 
out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> just north of uh, Washington, the Colville National Forest. It's beautiful up there, but yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, have, I, I have to. I, I think if I if I was going to the boneyard in Arizona, I'd I'd probably find it hard not to um, um, walk out of there without something in my. A memento. Pocket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not a $60,000 generator, though. No, 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 no. no, no, no admittedly. No. <laughs> okay. I we... mean, you can do it once. <laughs> yeah. Can you? Right. Okay. Yeah. Carlos, so, what on, before we do that, sorry, what on yes. earth have you got on your shoulders there? What is occurring? <laughs> oh, I've, I've just been, uh, upgraded. been upgraded. Upgraded, right, okay. yeah. So what are those? First officer. What, what, uh, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, Carlos, Carlos passed his second-in-command checkride in the X-Plane 11 <laughs> simulator with a virtual ah, checkride from Captain Al. So right, okay, I see. He was awarded his epaulets. Right, Yay. okay. I mean, that's that's great. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we should move on. I wish I hadn't started that. Now. I'll have you know, I done a complete <laughs> IFR flight from Norwich to uh, to London Heathrow today. Did you? you? Right, okay. Yes. Wow, you really are bored. Um, so story number three this week, Armando, and uh, it's good story, good news story. Actually, we're going to let uh, Delta Airlines go ahead and tell the story themselves, and then we can comment on it. Yeah, okay. He says hopefully, because I've got to play it direct from the website, so wish me luck. Oh, there we go. We decided to make some temporary service adjustments on board to the offerings, and what that meant was there was going to be food left over. As a matter of fact, 200,000 pounds of food, both perishable and non-perishable, that we weren't going to be serving. And so, you know, the idea quickly came up was how do we give that back to the community? It's clearly an opportunity right now to refocus, take care of those who are still flying with us and in our airports, but let's take care of the communities. So I'm standing here today in Delta's employee cafeteria here in Atlanta, Georgia, and you know, normally in this day, there would be people running in and out of here throughout the day, and, and I, it's a sobering moment to be here, and I think about our, our team and what they're doing, and they're at their homes, you know, obviously worried about their families, uh, worried about the great airline that they love and work for, but yet I am amazed and inspired because there are so many out there giving back to the community. We like to call it the Delta difference. I like to say it's the spirit of Delta because we carry 200 million customers a year around the globe and our people don't just stop. One of our employees in Nice, France, reached out and said, I would really like to be able to give snacks to the hospitals over here in Nice. It's so inspiring to us. And some of our great partners up in the air, like Linton Hopkins here in Atlanta, Linton approached us and said, let me um, prepackage meals. So. Um, tremendous amount of, of partnerships uh, that we are leveraging right now to give back. So that Delta difference and that Delta spirit uh, is alive and well, and the more this continues to evolve, the more ideas are coming up, and, and we won't stop. So there we go. So, uh, so what's the context behind this then, Armando? What, what's actually happening? Well, as you can imagine, catering those aircraft takes a lot of uh, warehoused food and this is just one example so some of the other numbers that delta has published uh, 200,000 pounds of food uh, perishable food items to feeding america 
partner agencies, Georgia Food and Resource Center, Center, the, uh, Missouri Carthage Crisis Center. She mentioned the local caterer in Nice in Philadelphia. They're partnered with Sodexo Magic to donate 500 pounds of food from the Delta Sky Club at the airport to a local Feeding America food bank. Um, so they're getting some pretty, pretty nice meals there. Uh, she mentioned Linton Hopkins in Atlanta. And in addition to that, um, they're sending flight, pretty much flight meals, box meals to the reservations and customer care centers um, to those people that are working to keep the airline running. Um, so what, it's just a great use of, you know, the resources that they've already purchased yeah, that, 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 that are already in stock, essentially, isn't it? You know, I mean, this is, this yeah. is stuff that they would have been um, sort of giving giving out in flight, and obviously they're not doing it. So, it, I mean, it's great that it's it's not going to waste, isn't it? I mean, here that we've got to, there's a charity called Feed uh, the NHS, isn't there? That I think Matt Lucas is a a big part of, and uh, he his his charity is sort of doing something similar, if you like, but with restaurants, where restaurants that had money uh, that obviously had food and stuff that that they would normally been selling because um, i mean especially here like the you know the the, the restaurant industry is is worth an, a, a frightening amount of money um, and there's more i think i i do wonder sometimes if there wasn't actually anywhere near as much panic buying going on as everybody thought there was uh but more for the fact that nobody's had to eat so much at home before uh you know like we've mentioned a hundred times already this is just an unprecedented time and mm. Here locally, um, my daughter's schools, they've also purchased food in bulk. Mm. So they are driving school buses around and they are delivering food mm. to uh, certain locations throughout our county. And you can go there, no questions asked. You just ask them, hey, I want one, one package, which is a lunch and a breakfast, which is what they would have gotten in school. And, or you can ask for them, you know, for three, four, however many you want and you know, it's just, uh, I've never seen anything like it, like so many other things in, in this, um, in this time right now. Yeah. There was a, there was a story. I don't know if you've seen guys uh, also that here in the UK, in Manchester, uh, I think it was yesterday, there's, uh, more than 1 million, uh, airline meals, frozen, frozen food, airline meals that were, uh, given to local charities via local charity to give to uh, disadvantaged people. Um, so I, it's frozen. So I guess it was laying around and not being put up in any place. But that's 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 pretty cool. Uh, the article didn't say which which caterer did that, but uh, I believe uh, um, what's it, Alpha LSG, which is uh, Sky Chef and Dinata, is is in Hub Manchester. So maybe that's them. But more than one million airline meals. I hope. Uh, I know it's a cheeky comment, but I hope if I were there, I get the first class one. Right? <laughs> <laughs> We've got standards that need to be kept, Paul. That's the. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say there's there's been plenty of reviews that we've done from Nav's Nav's passenger experiences where maybe you would you know hit pass pass on the meal on the uh, overcooked chicken with instant <laughs> potatoes or something like that. But hey, you know these are extraordinary times. Well, quite, um, yes. <laughs> moving on uh, to uh, to our guest Paul for the next story, and uh, obviously Paul, you travel to the UAE about six million times a week. So this is another option for you to travel on a different airline. 
That was actually my last uh, flight before I stopped traveling uh, in February uh, with Emirates. But yeah, I, I, to be uh, to be frank, I wasn't aware of that piece of news that you shared with me before the show. UAE new airline gets operating certificate. It thus becomes UAE fifth carrier and launch dates will be announced soon. It's in gulfnews.com. I'm going to not maybe read the entire thing, but take the, the gist of it. Um, so Air Arabia Abu Dhabi, the UAE's new airline in the making, has received the air operating certificate. This allows it to start operations from Abu Dhabi as the country's fifth carrier. Air Arabia Abu Dhabi will continue to work closely with the general civil aviation to finalize a launch date as market conditions improve and skies are open again. Saif Al-Suwaidi, director general of the said general civil aviation authority, said in a statement, while the global aviation industry continues to face its greatest challenge due to the impact of COVID-19 on air traffic movement, today's announcement reflects the strength and confidence of the UAE's aviation sector and its long-term prospect. The UAE is a global air travel hub, and we continue to provide our residents and visitors with multiple options to seek to stay connected and explore the world. Um, it has been assigned a reservation code 3L by the IATA, and this airline was formed, and that's an interesting one, this airline was formed following an agreement between Etihad Airways and Air Arabia for an independent joint uh, JV, joint venture company, and it will operate a low-cost passenger airline with the Abu Dhabi International Airport as its hub, so AUH. The new carrier will complement the services of Etihad Airways from Abu Dhabi and cater to low-cost travel in the region. Um, one thing, this is me, this is not the article anymore. One thing, uh, first I wasn't aware of this, but the interesting thing here, they say it's a JV between Etihad and Air Arabia to create a new low-cost passenger, this, uh, this one that's uh, mentioned here. However, Air Arabia is already a low-cost uh, from Charger. You know, the UAE, as its name said, is multiple um, emirates, and uh, one of them is called Sharjah, which is north of Dubai. And that's their airline since 2003, which has always been, by the way, profitable. It's a very good airline, low cost as well. So I'm not, I don't really understand why they need to do another low cost differently, whereas the other literally stays, you know, 100 kilometers north. But good news, I, I'm, I'm guessing. And of course, I'm going to try it. I don't know. I mean, perhaps it's a, a lucrative market and perhaps Etihad and Air Arabia wanted a sort of slice of the pie, maybe. Yeah, to, to be frank, I, my hinkling, it has been the same for the past three years, that at some point, Etihad and Emirates will be forced to merge. And to me, this whole current crisis could be the, the last straw or the, the spark to create this, because is there, I mean, I, 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 it's not a criticism of any other strategies or any other airlines in that country, but five airlines for that country, no matter the mega hub and connector it is, and of course, some of them are low cost, some of them aren't. Seems a bit, uh, a bit much. And probably here, Etihad is trying to do the same thing that Emirates has done. Emirates has, has partnered with uh, Fly Dubai, uh, and here they're trying the same thing. Of course, the launch in the middle of the crisis is <laughs> perhaps not. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, you know, good luck to them. Honestly, I hope they they fly long and well. Yeah. Well, I mean, fingers fingers crossed. Um, as you say, it uh, continues to be. It, well, fingers crossed they get some flights in the air. I suppose because I think you know a lot of flights are are all locked down at the moment, uh, like everything else. So, next story, story number five, um, and uh, for me, it's a it's a Ryanair story. Just just for me, just for a change, <laughs> just for a change. 
that's <laughs> after all these. It's after like three hundred or so episodes. Matt's now getting his own back. I am absolutely one hundred percent. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, this uh, this story uh, on the um, this one is on the Mirror uh, co uk, and uh, the headline: Ryanair tells passengers they won't get cash refunds after the coronavirus. There we go. You heard it here first. So budget airline Ryanair says it won't be issuing cash refunds until after the coronavirus is over, with passengers being told to wait months for their money back amid an income crisis. Travellers who have had previous or future flights cancelled due to COVID-19 are instead being offered vouchers or an alternative flight for a later date. However, those who exercise their rights for a full refund are being told to wait in a queue with refunds set to be issued after the crisis. Who knows when that will be? So customers have slammed the airline on social media with some waiting more than five weeks for a refund, only to have vouchers issued instead. One passenger named Tom tweeted, So, at Ryanair, have decided to give me a voucher, despite me being in a queue for a refund for a month. Wow, that must be one hell of a phone bill. And if I wanted to get a proper refund, I would need to wait online to speak to a chatbot. Oh, we love a chatbot, which is only available during the day. Give me my money back, he says. So Ryanair passenger Anthony said he he had requested a refund early in March. However, has now been sent an automated voucher. Interesting. Uh, scandalous behaviour, he says, uh, an attitude from a Ryan, at Ryanair applied for a refund five weeks ago for flights that we have cancelled and got three emails back asking to bear with them as they were overwhelmed with requests, which is fair enough. Uh, they then send an email today offering a travel voucher, he writes. Um, Ryanair customers waiting on a refund have been receiving an email attaching or attached with vouchers instead, which explains. Please note that as our customer care agents are required to work from home to limit the spread of COVID-19 virus, payment security restrictions prevent us from processing refunds as quickly as we'd like to. So under travel laws, airlines and travel package providers must give customers their money back uh, within 14 days if the firm cancels their trip. However, the Irish carrier, along with British Airways and TUI, uh, are among the travel firms that have been breaking these rules. Martin James, a consumer rights expert for Resolver, accused the airline of misleading passengers. But simply to help keep the airline business in business, if you can, uh, by taking vouchers or moving your flight forward, but don't be forced into it, he said. You are entitled to a refund. A Ryanair spokesperson said, for any cancelled flight, Ryanair is giving customers all of the options set out under EU regulations, including free moves and refunds in the form of cash or vouchers. In the process uh, time for cash refunds, which is taking longer due to the fact that we are having to process 10,000 times the usual volume and have fewer staff available due to social distancing measures. So quickly, what are your rights if you are, uh, if your flight is cancelled, you are entitled to a full refund of the original form of payment within seven days. Although many airlines will be struggling to meet the deadline, um, you can accept or refuse vouchers or a rebooking, but a voucher will probably be invalid if uh, the airline later goes bust. If you decide against going on a future flight which is not yet cancelled, then there is no right to a refund. Different airlines have different rules on what you can and can't do, but many are waiving any charges for changing uh, to a later flight or having a voucher instead. Uh, your travel insurance may not or may cover you for these 
things. If you are trying to get home, the airline has a duty to get you back. However, with so many flights cancelled, that's become increasingly difficult. Uh, now the government has agreed to step in when needed to return people who are stranded, as we know by all the repatriation flights. If you are stuck in the EU uh, and a UK or EU carrier is not rerouting or helping you, you should be able to come home on any airline you can bill the original airline for that new ticket. The airline is legally obliged to get you home and they should be rerouting you themselves. If they are failing to do that, then they are responsible for the cost of getting you home. Hmm, better give uh, someone with a private jet a call, I think. <laughs> but you should not cancel and accept a full refund as this ends the airline's duty of option to um, care towards you and won't be able to, you won't be able to claim back anything after that. It's best uh, to pay by credit card, as we all know, for the backup option to claim from your car provider. If you have a package holiday, then a refund should be provided for the whole holiday within 14 days. Mm. Now, <laughs> I have a few things to say about oh, this. Everyone, Mark, please, please, please. I I have a, a, a few friends of mine. Actually, one of one of them um, is not a friend. He's my father. Okay, who, yeah, so quite close then. Yeah. Has struggled immensely over the last course of the last two weeks to get anything at all from Tui. Um, he had a holiday book with Tui, which. He actually should have been flying out on this week uh, with four uh, four people, and it was somewhere around the region around about four thousand um, pounds, which they've offered vouchers, and they've offered him a number to call to um, call to get a full refund back of money. But every time that number's been called, he gets put on hold and hung up on. Oh wow! Which is obviously not a good thing. And we've also had friends of ours as well who have had trouble with Tui who uh, they've struggled to get um, their, their money back from uh, from the airline for flights that they've got booked okay. with them, um, which they've struggled with. And I, I personally, as probably most of you who watch the show will know, I was due to fly at the end of May to go and see Armando and Steph over in the US with BA, which we booked our flights, um, I think it was the end of last year or beginning of this year, we booked our flights with BA. And... We got. I got the email a few weeks back from BA to say the ca flights have been cancelled. They offered me a voucher or a rebook to a month later, which obviously I thought, I thought well, that's no good. I'd, I'd just rather have the money back and then rebook next year. Um, so I called the number, BA's number. They answered within two, three minutes. Wow. Customer service team were fantastic. Fellow head over heels to help me. And within five minutes, I've got a apology. Sorry, we, you know, we couldn't um, you know, take you on your holiday because of what's going on. We've refunded the money straight back to your credit card. You know, apologies and, and all the best for the future. And that was BA. And I had wow. nothing but good things to say about BA. Okay. Nev would be proud. He would be so proud, wouldn't he? Yeah. So, but, I mean, my, my big – I completely get – in some respect, and I can't believe we're about to do this, but I, I feel like I should be sticking up maybe a little bit for like like Ryanair and Tui here. All right, there's no excuse obviously for for him being hung up on. I think that's that's obviously, uh, but there could potentially be several issues with their phone systems if if call volumes are huge, perhaps. Um, but 
I, I don't know, perhaps one of the things that isn't helping in this situation is if everybody's having their money back, because people still want to go on their holidays. It's just that, you know, social distancing rules, et cetera, et cetera, mean that we're not able to. Um, you know, I, I mean, maybe so, some of the answer to this is, is to allow the airlines essentially to hang on to your cash. Yeah, I know. I, you know, what you're saying here is a super difficult balance because is um, the airlines have limited amount of cash to survive to pay the balance sheets, even though they've been able to follow some, or unpaid leave some of their staff, etc. Some of them have like one or two months. That's Nor Norwegian. Some of them are more. Uh, Ryanair actually is one of the best ones. They had like almost four billion in balance sheet at the end of last year, so they can probably survive for 18 months without flying. <laughs> um, and they also, by the way, that's very important in uh, coming back to, I think, what Armando said earlier. They own almost 80% of their aircrafts, which means they could get new lines of credits with the aircrafts being the collateral, a bit like what you mentioned about Southwest, uh, I believe. But at the end of the day, uh, we want them to survive. And we've heard in the start of the top of the show, the airlines are, are dying. And the only way for them to survive is like you just hinted that to grab all their cash. At the same time, as a passenger myself, I, I would be furious if I didn't get the cash back, especially right now, because everybody is kind of reeling and needing the cash. And so that's, that's the, the balance is really hard to, 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 to find. And on TUI uh, and other travel agents, uh, yes, they have, they should be, they should also refund you. Let's not forget, it's not to give them an excuse, but let's not forget that they, the airlines are not paying them back either, right? So the airlines are not only refusing to pay you as a final passenger is they're not either paying or very slowly trickle down money back to these travel agents who themselves are in this dire situation. None of this is an excuse uh, because we all want our uh, earn hard earned cash, but it's a very difficult um, uh, uh, matter right now. I think in the Netherlands has allowed airlines, so KLM basically, to not give uh, cash back right immediately. But um, in Europe, Ryanair says, yeah, we're respecting uh, EU regulations. It's a bit uh, hefty. Yeah, it's, it's an extraordinary circumstance, but yeah, it's, it's not that crystal clear. At some point, we'll get a court case deciding on this. But since the courts are all off because nobody can even <laughs> go to court, I don't know where we're going to get that, right? Well, quite, yeah. <laughs> hey, on, on a customer service point of view, for me, yeah, the service that I got now, now now makes me think that next year when I rebook, hopefully fingers crossed, to to go back out to the US, um, there's no there's no doubt about it. No. I'll be heading straight to BA's yeah. website. Okay. To because Nev is not here, I can't criticize BA without having the, his scorn <laughs> and his look. But BA was Quite. not. I had friends who had the same issue than you, and maybe because you were early. I don't know when you start calling uh, to get your refund. They were making it a bit difficult as well, especially on their website. They were creating like a deck pattern. So you were supposed to be able to choose between a credit, a voucher, or cash refund when you were trying to uh, cancel your flight or ask for the money if your flight had been canceled by the airline, by BA. And they were hiding this in the web page in a way that it was almost impossible to get. And then it was very difficult to get through on the, on the line. So they are also bad stories about BA. But I'm sure that BA has behaved better than Ryanair. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. a given. One would like to think that's a bit of a given. Um, we, 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 just a couple of comments in the, in the chat room. Uh, Micah actually is, I'm delighted to say, picking me up on what I was saying, saying part of the problem, Matt, is 
uh, that you don't know if the airline will be in existence when things settle down. If they go bankrupt, you just become another creditor, which is a very good point, actually. I suppose that's why people are, are wanting their cash back, is because they don't have an issue so much with... Um, you know, with wanting the money back personally, it's more if they end up having to use a different carrier, it's going to be a lot easier if, you know, the money's been refunded back to their credit card, I suppose. Uh, and uh, again, he's sort of saying, and it's and it's likely that many will be going bankrupt even if they file for reorganisation. The same thing happens. You lose your deposit or, or cash, and uh, customer service always disappears when a company is in a massive struggle merely to survive. So, so some great points there from Uncle Micah, as always. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's a good point, and that's 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 why I love the chat room. You see, I've been I've been put right. That's that's what it's all about. That is what it's all about. Well, this next but, story, Matt, I think is is quite amusing because we're talking about obviously airlines trying to, to keep back keep that money to help them exist or to keep to sustain yes. them. Yeah, absolutely. So this next story is is a, is a great idea, I think, for the airlines to. <laughs> to make some more money. I mean, th that's that's w one way of looking at it. Actually, if I can just uh, take a, a very moment, uh, a moment to give a shout out to one of my uh, friends. Actually, before I start reading this story, um, uh, Carlos, do you remember uh, my friend Stuart who uh, joined us at our th our one hundredth? all those years ago. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Stuart works for a company called Mediquip, and he's uh, currently in Stockport, actually, and he's working very hard to keep 27 ambulances on the road. So that's, uh, I think that's a very, no worth a shout-out, really. So, uh, you know, it's what I call, like, the the uh, sort of uh, care workers and all that kind of thing. So well well done to him for, for doing that. Um, there's, uh, I also just need to sort of apologise, actually, but we're having some terrible gremlins here in the studio, so I apologise if the audio isn't up to its usual standard. I am trying to get yeah, to the Yeah, I was about to say, Matt, you have, like, a lot of company. You're supposed to be social distancing. You're having a party yeah. behind you, right? <laughs> I don't really know what's going on, to be honest with you. There's, there's, there's all sorts of weird stuff going on. But uh, anyway, we'll try and get to... And now I've got some... I've got some kind of weird technical authoring error for some reason. So, uh, uh, yeah, wish me luck with that. Uh, anyway, so it's the Business Insider is the website that I'm trying to read from, if it'll let me. And the head, no, it won't let me. It's got some kind of stupid box on top of it now that won't go away. <laughs> Brilliant. Anyway, so, uh, so, yeah, Business Insider. And the headline is American Airlines just raised its check bag fees, even though hardly anyone is flying right now. So <laughs> uh, American Airlines increased its fees... Uh, increase the fees it charges some passengers for checked uh, for, for checked bags on certain flights as the airline sees record low passenger numbers due to the coronavirus pandemic the uh, flyers traveling between the US and Europe or Africa and flying on a basic economy fare ticketed by American Airlines will pay $75 each way for a check bag for tickets sold begin uh, beginning of the 21st of April the previous fee was $60 each way the low uh, the low fare will um will uh, still apply to tickets that were sold before the 21st of April the changes were first spotted by the blog awards uh, by the blog site awardwallet.com in a statement the airline said that the new price brought it in line with its transatlantic joint venture partners which sell checked bags on basic economy fares for $65 each way in advance or $75 each way at the airport uh, starting Tuesday the 21st of April American changed 
its checked baggage fees for basic economy passengers on transatlantic flights to better align our bag fee structure uh, with our Atlantic joint business partners. British Airways, Iberia and Finnair, a spokesperson said, these uh, changes only affect uh, passengers who purchase new uh, basic economy tickets on transatlantic flights starting on the 21st of April going forward. Finnair increased its fees for checked baggage back in March. Uh, United similarly raised its checked bag fees to $70 for uh, its least expensive fares earlier this year, bringing it in line with Star Alliance Partners, uh, Partner Airlines. Uh, I mean, the story goes on, but... Um, I don't know. What are we thinking, guys? I mean, is is this? Let's it's just... quite it's quite a big lot of money. I mean, yeah. that works out in um, in the in the good old British sterling. It works out about sixty quid. Um, right. When you think uh, if you if you do it online with Ryanair, it's twenty five quid, and if you get, do it at the airport, if you forget and do it at the airport with Ryanair, it's forty quid. So sixty quid is is quite a, quite a, quite a few pounds. Yeah. yeah, I agree. That's seventy-five dollars. Is you know that that's a lot of money, especially when we're in a time, especially with carriers like Norwegian, where often fifty dollars makes the difference of which carrier you book to go transatlantic. So seventy-five dollar baggage fee, and I know that they're just bringing it in line with the rest of the partners. But my goodness, that's that's a lot of money. That, do you remember like back just a few years ago when a few carriers instituted a $25 baggage fee and we all said, this is never going to work. <laughs> like I here, here we are at, at $75, $60 and we're just, everybody's just used to it now. But surely this, I mean, is, is it one of those where it's like there's so much bad news going on at the moment. Now is the perfect time to bury yet more Barrett bad news because it was just, I, I guess they I were can't. just hoping it was going to disappear into the ether of what was already happening. I can't, exactly. I can't imagine how many people are, other than us in the aviation podcast community are tracking this story. You know, and, and there is a figure that American Airlines made $1 billion from checked bag fees in the first three quarters of 2019. So not even the, the whole year. That's a billion dollars in revenue from checked bag fees. So, wow. That, hey. That's insane. Wow. Yeah. It just makes me want to get a credit card for each airline and <laughs> get the first bag checked free. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's one way of dealing with it, I suppose. <laughs> I'm sure the folks, the folks over at the points guy would love that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But you know, inter inter interestingly, Armando, I mean, of course, no, it's not happening, but uh, in, in Asia, because people are not, uh, low cost travel is more prevalent uh, because travel, air travel started later. I mean, this is, I mean, overstatement, but you tried to make the point. Um, a lot of the the loyalty systems, so the frequent flyer miles and loyalty systems, do not offer you stuff like that. They say, if you're with us, it's not about you getting into business class with miles. It's about getting the f first or second check bag for free or more um, uh, overhead bin space and stuff like that. And I think that's in, a, in an economy that would, might not be as good going forwards, we might see that model replicated elsewhere to say BA or American telling you that as a valued customer here, if you fly a lot, a lot with us, even if it's just at the very back of the plane, we'll offer you checked luggage. I think that could, that could be something that would happen. Sure. I think that that's absolutely a, a strategy that, that could be employed.
you know, MB, MBF uh, is saying, is, is it not just included in the cost of the ticket? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, maybe that's some airline will go that way with it and be like, Hey, look, no, no, my, my airline, that's how we, that's one of the things that we advertise now is, Hey, we have no baggage fees whatsoever. Well, and that may set us apart from the next ticket counter over. Um, so I don't know. Interesting. Interesting. Interesting time to make the change. Yeah, as I say, I think it's just being used as an excuse to bury yet more bad news. I think, as you say, but uh, there we are. Uh, Armando, you've got the next story. Yeah, sticking with this story, I'll, I'll tell you what: the, these um, masks are great now. These visors, Armando. <laughs> well, I looked at these pictures, and Avio Interiors has just released a post-corona virus <laughs> seat design. Uh, they've released two seat designs for use after the virus uh, as concerns over hygiene post-health crisis on board aircraft are expected to remain. Uh, however, the prototypes for the designs are still being developed. Uh, the Avio Interiors confirmed. Uh, this manufacturer was founded in 1972. They compete against uh, other manufacturers like Aerospace or BE Aerospace and Recaro probably the most well-known one. Uh, the Avio Interiors has proposed these two new designs for use after the pandemic. One is a more simple concept called glass safe, which entails a simple covering around the sides of your head, which can be fitted to existing seats. This particular concept is made up of transparent material that makes the entire cabin harmonious and aesthetically light, but perfectly fulfilling the objective of creating an isolated volume around the passenger in order to avoid or minimize contacts and interactions via air between passengers and passengers so as to reduce the probability of contamination by viruses or other. And then the quote ends. Wow. <laughs> so I believe that their marketing strategy in this case is just throw as many big words into your brochure um, Welcome to yeah. the world of marketing, man. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, such, it's such a pleasure listening to you say these words. You know, that's it. I, I will hire you, man. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Let's see. This second design is a more complex one. They named it Janus after the two-faced god of ancient Rome. The design enables passengers to isolate themselves from other passengers through the incorporation of an opposite-facing center seat. Uh, the center passenger facing backwards occupies the same space as others. So this seat does not uh, need a higher pitch than usual. Access and exit clearance are as usual also. And therefore, the seat installation pitch remains as originally provided for by the aircraft specification layout, explains Avio Interiors. Now, <laughs> I, ta I take issue with this one because you're still facing the people, the two people in front of you. So I don't right. know. Maybe there is yeah. some, there's an open route for them to cough on you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes. Now we're just, now we're just funneling germs. We're just annoying <laughs> yes. them by having, yes. telling them where to go. They're on target now. Yeah, absolutely. Got so right. Yes. So well, there you go. Matt, Matt is playing the, or, you know, showing the pictures. There are some interesting designs. I guess, you know, every company is going to have their turn and, and trying to provide a solution. So essentially what we've learned from this then, Armando, correct me if I'm wrong, that we've, we've completely solved the problem then with, with two photographs. Is that, is, that, is that where we're going with this? 
<laughs> sure, sure. You know, I, and you know, uh, our producer, John, just asked a question. How about safety and safer in an accident? Yeah, good you know, point. There, was, yeah. there was a study done quite a few years ago that rearward facing seats are actually the safest. Yeah. But the customers would never go for an entire, other than military. Because if you've ever flown military, you, uh, you've definitely flown backwards. Uh, I think most of our seat pellets face backwards. Um, but yeah, they, they're, at least the backward facing one was proven to be a little bit safer, but okay. yeah, yeah. I, I, I love the comments in the yeah, chat room. I, I, I'll go on. What, 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 have, what have we got? What have we got? What have we got? Well, of course there's Micah who said, you know, Hey, they did, they didn't name it Janice after the two faced girlfriend I had in high school. They? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's an option. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. The, the awkwardly facing people. Yeah. That's pretty awkward. You know, usually I, I rely on, one one person looking out the window and one person looking into the aisle before I pick my nose. So right. now they're okay. going to see you. <laughs> you see, I, you're, you're just too polite, uh, Armando. That's clearly what the issue there, there oh, is. Oh, um, because, Nev, because Nev is not here, and, and I saw he was uh, on the chat uh, uh, noting that I was criticizing BA. These awkward <laughs> seating of having... This awkward sitting of having someone else looking at you, it's also called BA business class, by the way, because the guy is just next to you, and if you want to pick your nose or cough in this place, <laughs> yes. it yeah. works perfectly, actually. Uh, and, uh, Matt, Bunt, Matt, Matt, Matt Bunting frame is, as I said rather interestingly here, is does that mean that the seat goes back and your head ends up, it basically ends up in the person behind's crotch, which I think is a, an, another concern. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> No? Okay. Taking an unexpected yeah. turn. Who'd have thought it would be me lowering the tone? Wow. Actually, Andy, Andy okay. Williamson points out something quite true. As Armando was saying about the military stuff, I remember this because being on one of these at, Brunt, at Bruntingthorpe a few years back, the old VC-10, that had the rearward-facing seats. And mm. uh, I, I remember sitting in those myself. And it is a, even when you're not moving or flying anywhere, it is a weird sensation to sit on a, on a commercial airliner with the seats facing the wrong way. Yeah. Did you, have, yeah. Did, you have, did you have a two-point or three-point um, seatbelt? That's just a normal two-point in that. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, and I remember, you know, Captain Jeff in the chat room is saying the, C4, the C-141 that he flew had palletized seats. And not only that, you're facing backwards, but there's no windows in that airplane. There, so talk about some motion sickness. You know, most C-17s only have four or five tiny little round windows at the, at the exits. Um, so whether you're on a L-1011 or a C-141, a C-17, yeah, most of those airplanes don't have windows. So, <laughs> so Armando, you've got a tech-orientated story for your next one. Uh, right. Um, so this you, is from is, – is this mine? Or is this yours or is this, is this, Paul? No, no, this is Paul. No, this is Paul's, Paul's I was Paul, say. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 you know, I love the voice of Armando talking about, you know, marketing. <laughs> so if, he wants, if, yeah. if he wants to take it on, you know, uh, he, it's more than welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, Paul, I, you, lo you love your tech, Paul. You take I've, no, I've, I was hit say, bit, I've hit my big word limit for the day, so Paul, you're up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the, but to, to be fair, Paul, I, I can I can think of several people who would really who really rather enjoy your wonderful accent when you're talking. So uh, shush yeah, now, man, read the story. Man, uh, man mistakes, yeah. <laughs> it's actually, I, I like that story because it's something that I've, I've done a monologue of two hours on the last episode of Layovers, and I, and I touch upon this automation. And so, auto, airport automation to speed up for a crisis rebound with 
with less human contact that's in skift skift.com airport executives are it's a long one guys so bear with me uh, airport executives are still in crisis management mode uh, the pandemic is forcing them to make agonizing operational decisions yet the executives will soon resume thinking about the long term and when they do airport executives there's a lot of ex- airport executives in that sentence will consider increased automation as a top priority the entire passenger journey through a terminal has to be rethought around themes of new conventions for personal space and new concepts for protecting wellness, said Jonathan Massey, co-leader of the aviation sector at Corgan, a Dallas-based architecture firm that has worked on many terminals. We're looking at hospital design. Oh, my God. Uh, we're looking at hospital design to see what may be relevant to apply to terminal design, for instance. I don't know what I, how, why I think about this one. Uh, Skipal, so that Amsterdam, has sped up its automation efforts for passenger processing. By the end of May, Skipal will add computed tomography x-rays, known as CT scans, to security lanes in one of its departure halls. The so-called CT scan takes hundreds of images of each piece, each piece of luggage and can reduce the amount of manual inspection and the number of hands that need to touch bags. Then, uh, airport retailers may, may look at ways to use, to use tech to remove the need for people to touch objects. Touchless was an advancement that was coming, but is now going to be fast-tracked. Exhibit A, in March, Amazon said it had begun licensing its Just Walkout automated checkout technology to other airport retailers and other stores. Guys, if you've never tried it, you have the Amazon Go store in San Francisco. It's pretty cool. Uh, Passengers show their credit cards at turnstile, and the store then bills them after they leave. Sensors on shelves and cameras and ceilings help keep people uh, honest. This is exactly what I experienced. Guys, really, San Francisco, it's in the center. At airport restaurants, removing menu cards and bill holders, two things that diners often touch and that staff rarely sanitize, may become a goal. Some airport restaurants will look for ways to coax passengers to use apps on their own mobile devices to choose menu items, order, and pay for meals. Hong Kong International Airport has begun using three self-driving robots to clean public areas and restrooms. Each intelligence sterilization robot built by TMI Rob. Too much information, Rob? Is that his? No, sorry. (laughs) Uh, Flashes ultraviolet light and spray a disinfectant to spray surfaces. To spray, spray, yeah, well. Uh, last, month, last month, London Gatwick Airport introduced a robotic parking where passengers drop their car off and a robot valet built by Stanley Robotics pushes the car into an outdoor parking space. A passenger keeps their keys and hops a, uh, into a bus to the terminal. Airports will need more efficient processing to avoid passengers crowding into areas and more touchless processes to avoid the spread of germs. Some technologies will play a role. These may include solutions that help manage queuing by providing time slots for entering security lines and boarding airplanes, said Tara Mulroney, Vice President Technology at Edmonton International in Canada. Biometric checkpoints are another possibility where a passenger scans their passports and boarding pass and takes a selfie. Computers could then compare the photo against the passport to confirm identity. The crisis will lead to a paradigm shift as we realize that travel is a vulnerable ecosystem, Massey said. Uh, we know... We now know a pandemic is an existential threat to the industry, so even if we can't predict when the next one will happen, we'll be looking head-on at how to minimize the impact. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
I'm just going to mention two stories. I did the full uh, touchless immigration at Dubai. So that was in my last trip. It was in February. So you literally never touch anything. You have a path when you walk. And the only thing you do at the very start is you have to touch your, obviously, your passport. So the passport takes an imprint, you know, where you biometrics and then compares it to your face. And then you just walk. And you never meet anyone, and you don't, you don't even have to stop. The, the airport keeps recognizing you, and that's pretty insane. And I'm sure that this is going to be uh, implemented in a lot of places. Gatwick is not far, actually. It was mentioned here for the parking, but Gatwick is not far. I've seen these robots, the way they say intelligent robots to sanitize the restrooms. I'm like, you've really seen these robots? They're not really intelligent. It's just, yeah. Uh, uh, what do you think, guys? I have a lot of thoughts, but I don't want to keep the microphone. What do you think, guys, about all these automation? I mean, I'm, I'm, for me personally, I, I like humans. Um, so a small part of me is concerned about, you know, I, lo- I love my technology and it does have the ability to make things very, very efficient. And especially, I suppose, in, in difficult times like this, um, you know, the, the least amount of human contact, obviously, the better. But I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to ever get to a situation where essentially you've got almost nobody working in the airport do you know what i mean yeah. other than yeah. you know there, there, there's there is something about that interaction with with people but, but what oh, sorry go ahead Armando. yeah i don't i don't think you have a choice matt i think that's just natural evolution not just at airports but the transport industry you know we've we have humanless humanless robotic uh public transport now you know there's there's nobody on on some of these light rail systems, they're, we're working on autonomous vehicles. We're working on these autonomous VTOL, vertical takeoff, uh, passenger vehicles. I, I think the, I, I don't know if it'll happen here in coronavirus 2020, but I, I think it, it, this is the way that travel will be. You're going to have a largely human contactless experience as you're going in there. I know Delta has rolled out their biometrics so they're doing a facial scan just like your your iphone does as your boarding pass so i I think i think in the next three years this is just me looking into a crystal ball but i think in the next three years we're probably going to see a a largely uh, humanless contactless uh, airport experience well, I, mean, I think I think Armando is absolutely right, and I I cannot mention, but I do work with airports, as you know, guys, and with airlines, and also I did some work with IATA. This is this was already coming before, right? It was already we had this uh, biometric path, biometric boarding. Uh, so Amsterdam has done it. There's uh, uh, trials with U.S. mobile passport and biometric entry at uh, Dallas Fort Worth. Uh, so th- these are already happening, and this what what will this do? This crisis do is probably just fast track some stuff that was already existing. We were already, you know, using our mobile phone to get our boarding pass and scanning the, the, the QR code on some scanning machine. So this is just a step forward. And the, 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 the interesting bit here is that by having people stay at home, which has nothing to do with travel, you also force them to become in a way more um, accepting of technology like we are doing now, like talking to each other, you know, remotely and having to use technology and because they'll be a little bit probably fearful when they go back to travel, that, so acceptance of technology, the fact that we already had some technology in the pipeline, and the fact that they will be a bit fearful perhaps of too much contact, 
that that's a fast track. And I think Armando is absolutely right. We're, we're, we're getting there already. Uh, and, and Gatwick in the UK, since we're recording that from the UK, Gatwick is going probably to be one of the first airports in the world that will be fully, fully automated. There won't be any, or there will be personnel to being able to, to talk to, don't worry, Matt, but I think it will be fully automated and we'll see that more and more. And at some at some point, we'll see that even in towers, remote towers, um, ATC. I, I'm pretty sure that's more down the line, but I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're probably right. I'm just uh, actually uh, some great comments here in the chat room. Um, Tony S is saying that uh, uh, it's fine that uh, airports, but once that technology is used successfully there, then obviously it'll be out on the streets. We're all in serious trouble. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I personally like Lane's comment. This is how long is it before all those cleaning robots decided it's the humans that are viruses? I think that's <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of a good point. Uh, Laura Davis is saying actually it's already out in some some uh, some cities. Uh, 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 Jennifer's got a, a, a great point really really she's saying that uh, sure all this new touchless tech is great but it costs money with our, our passenger numbers down to like 98 percent. i don't see us having any money available to spend on such things like this anytime soon yes but yes but again working in this field the cost of salaries or wages is actually very high and this is a one-time cost these machines of course they have a maintenance cost as well but sadly for us humans they are over time cheaper. And also if they allow, because that's what you want, like a Ryanair, if they allow um, people to walk faster and process boarding and everything faster, that's again in efficiency, that's again in money as well. So I'm not defending it here, guys, by the way. I prefer having an interaction with someone, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, another example, I, had a, I was in Singapore T4. So the, it used to be the budget terminal and they, they revamped it and created T4. Uh, which is not completely linked to the rest of the terminals. It's just a, a little train. It's their experiment, and it's almost entirely automated. And it's honestly fantastic. You still have people, you know, the duty-free shops and everything, and you still have people to help you in case there's a miscommunication or a misunderstanding of the use of the machine. But from boarding to, sorry, from checking in to dock check to immigration out to boarding, everything is automated and it works super well. And, and I'm not saying that, again, I like it. I'm just saying that that's a model that will be replicated to the only, the only probably um, to, to the point that was just made is that some countries obviously will not go as fast. Not everybody is Singapore, not everybody is Dubai being able, or not even not everybody is Gatwick being able to put that much money into infrastructure, but it will happen. Armando is absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, again, yeah. Micah is raising an interesting point actually here. Armando, I don't know if you want to sort of perhaps uh, uh, touch on this, of course, but uh, is it the direction that is, is going is, is clear, um, but we also have to evaluate privacy concerns. I won't use facial recognition based on privacy, nor do I even subscribe to things like Facebook, which, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm a bit like a lot of people. I have a love-hate relationship with some of these services. Um, yeah, I think there's there's a couple. Uh, I guess a couple of things that I would say on that. One is there will always be a lane at the terminal for for Micah. <laughs> there will always be someone who doesn't have the technology. It's yeah. like um, it's like your cell phone networks, right? We go to 4G, 5G, we go to LTE, but all those systems have to be backwards compatible to people that haven't upgraded their phones yet. So airports are going to be in the same boat where there will always be, uh, like Paul saying, a, a line dedicated. There will be a human dedicated to somebody that is still just showing up to the counter to buy a ticket or something like that. Um, and th so there's a significant difference between the rest of the world and, well, I guess not, not the U.S., but 
different countries have different ways of managing their airports. So here in the U.S., um, from my understanding, airports are largely government authorities. So it'll be the yeah, yeah. the Metropolitan Washington Airport Authority. It'll be the uh, the Transport Authority or whatever it is in, in in New York City that runs those three airports. Um, the municipal airports, the smaller airports, they are still TSA airports. They still have, um, you, you know, uh, security lines, security procedures in place, but those are municipal airports. They're local state, county uh, governments that, that own and manage those airports with funding and grants from TSA for for their own security upgrades. So, so that that's one difference between the privately owned airports over in uh, Europe and and the rest of the world. So, and where I'm going with that is that that's going to result in a different level of investment, and investment you know return on investment from the the government generally is pretty terrible at that stuff at, at saying how much are we actually going to get out of this, um, while a private company is going to be much more apt to say how how does this streamline you know our bottom line. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I will, and, and I, will, I, will, I will say, oh, sorry, go, go ahead. Yeah, no, 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 carry on, Paul, go on. No, I, no, because it's fascinating because it's, you're absolutely right that the uh, the airport, uh, the ownership actually changes a lot of the dynamics of the financing. Though in the US, they are starting to do public-private partnerships because they realize that in order to increase uh, funding, they have to go to private, which by the way, you know, I know it's cliche to say, but it, it feels like from the outside in when you are not in the US and everything is private in the US, you're like, why the airports are not right <laughs> everybody everywhere else it is and interestingly uh, most airports in the u.s make money out of parking fees so the fact that you park your car most airports in the rest of the world make money out of uh shopping the shopping experience which is why you don't have a great shopping experience if you make so much money with parking fees you don't need to but i, I I'm, I'm wondering if this crisis might actually push the, the trials, I think is Detroit was already partially private, I'm not sure, uh, pushed this experience further. The government saying, oh, you know what, or the local municipality saying, we might not be able to pay for everything after this crisis, or is there any private investor that want to come in and buy equity in the airport and help us build, uh, you know, the passenger experience and what's not, it, it could happen. I had a question from John, our, our, our producer. He has it on the, on the notes that we have here. He says, what happens if this tech goes down and you have no people on the payroll Good to point. deal with it? How will airport, airports cope? Think uh, Ethereum when those departure screens went oh, yes. down a few months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I have also a very fun story. I was traveling. It was last November. I don't remember. No, no, it was last summer. I landed in Kuala Lumpur in KL, so that's in Malaysia, and everything was done by hand. And I was like, that's very strange, but it was, you know, outbound. So at first, didn't really register. I thought, okay, maybe they do everything by hand. Like, you know, the... The belt, the luggage belt, so I checked in baggage, was written on a whiteboard. I was like, that's very strange. And two days later, when I came back to KL, the main airport, uh, I would leave, I realized that literally all the screens were off from the big, you know, the big ones that display the flights to the ones in front of the, the, the ground staff. And they had been hacked. And since they were unable to find a source of the hack, they decided to shut the entire system down. And every, the entire airport was running manually. They literally had to write down my boarding pass by hand. Um, for a huge airport, we're talking like you know, 30, 40 million passengers a year. So to the question, I think, and I'll finish with that because I know I talk a lot, guys. Uh, I think that <laughs> if there's something this, this crisis has taught us, 
is that systems are fragile. You know, we were all relying on single supply chains and suddenly one country's fall and the rest are falling. I'm not talking here about the virus. I'm just simply talking about, you know, uh, pieces and just-in-time production and supply chains, including for Boeing and Airbus. As soon as China went down, Boeing and Airbus were lacking pieces to, to continue production of aircrafts. Of course, now the point is moot because they're not producing aircrafts. But I think this crisis will has taught us that systems are too fragile or railing on a single point of failure, a little bit like the angle of attack of a 737 MAX. Oh, <laughs> and, oh, oh and, there and, it is. And I think we're learning. I mean, because that's, that's the point. Like, like the, air, the air travel industry learns, the world is learning that perhaps, to answer John's question, the producer, yeah, we'll still have manned you still have people, you know, man booth, not only for MICA that doesn't want to go through retinol or biometric or whatever, but also simply because, yeah, if the tech falls down and we know it falls down, you'll have to have a backup system. So I'm pretty, I'm cautiously hopeful. Yeah, and I, sorry, I'll say just one more thing. And, and it, I love our chat room because it's, it, it, they're bringing <laughs> up some great, great points. But uh, to, to address uh, MICA and John Jester, so... John brings up the point that all of these, all of your biometric data, not all of it, but a lot of your biometric data is already stored in your passport and your driver's license with the Real ID Act. Um, so these airports are going to have to turn to private vendors, right? There's not a government agency that sells data, that sells biometric data. So my question, which is right along with them, is where will, where will that interface be? between the New York City airports going with their vendor who is going to provide a technology to, uh, to provide biometric or, or just contactless uh, procedures and the San Francisco Airport Authority who is going to buy it from their vendor, where are those vendors, where is going to be the interface for them to, to interact with a government, a, a national database of, of biometric data? That's where the sticking point is going to be, in my opinion. Yeah, we're, we're, we're gonna, they can't sell it. Well, the, the yeah. government can't sell it. No, quite absolutely. And, and by the way, it's by the way, it's heightened with the current crisis because I do believe that right now we have, of course, we have security. We have the you know checking your identity. That's for security and for visa purposes to cross the border. Are you allowed to board a plane or not? But we're going into health because at some point, is it, what are we going to, you know, after 9-11, we got used to heavy security. We had it before and now we got used to it. I'm wondering if we won't have some kind of health visa. So if that data, biometric data will have to embed like we're like an electronic travel authorization or within your advanced passenger information you have to declare your state of health and which has to be tracked. It's not only, yeah, I feel fine and I've not visited these, four, these countries in the past 14 days, but maybe they'll say, no, but we want proof. And it's not the airline saying that. It's like the destination. Where, where, you know, the U.S. already asks us when we go to the U.S. as non-residents and non-citizens, they ask us for our social media password um, uh, handles. At some point, I, I totally, yeah, of course. So I, totally, I, I totally see them doing and saying, and I'm not here dissing, this, by the way, I'm just saying it's only fair enough that they will say, okay, have you not been in contact with anyone with COVID-19 in the past 14 days? Prove it to us by uh, giving us access to your geolocalization data in the past 14 days. You don't want to do it? You, go, you don't go to the U.S.? I don't want to hear point a finger to the U.S. Mm. It could be any other country. That could be you know, China, Singapore, Japan, or India, whatever. I'm Sadly, because I'm talking at the same time, I don't see all the comments, but it's true that this 
data privacy is really uh, fishy. It's yeah, well, I, I, Mike, Mike is a bit concerned with it. Uh, like you're saying, is that private vendors can basically resell my information over and over and over again uh, and share it with anyone. And you, as the consumer, essentially has no control over that, which um, I guess is what his concern is. I mean, that there are sort of things in place, I guess, to, to sort of try and alleviate that. But the systems have fail, failed, haven't they? They have sort of fallen down where there's been data breaches, for example, and suddenly your, your, your data is out there, you know, without your, your, your wanting, I suppose. But um, anyway, we, we must uh, sort of move on. And yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, 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 Paul, please don't ever apologize. <laughs> the whole reason why we love having you on the show is because, you know, conversation. It's, absolutely. It, it's, mm. it's fascinating. But uh, uh, Carlos, it, it's your turn. Yes, so this next story is... Oh, so, I, mate, I, I've missed you. Where have you been? <laughs> I haven't heard, for, heard from you for ages. <laughs> the Simple Flying <laughs> website, this next one. I actually and, put uh, uh, um, uh, David Vanderhoff is in the, the chat room here. I don't know whether you need to lead slightly further forward or whatever, but your lovely epaulets keep disappearing into your virtual background behind you. Oh, do they? Oh, yeah, sorry. so you sorry. need to lean forward a bit. <laughs> oh, okay. So th- this next story... You've only on got one on flying. at the moment. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm only half the pilot. You oh, know. fair enough. <laughs> I, I leave Armando at that job. Um, yeah, this this simple flying story, and uh, this story uh, has pictures, and this the, this aircraft on this story uh, is not in any way a complete rip-off of an Airbus. But anyway, <laughs> so the headline is Russia's Ooh, 737, yeah. or Russia's, well, actually, they say Russia's 737 MAX, but I think it looks like an Airbus, actually. But anyway, Russian's Airbus alternative, the MC-21-300, resumes flight testing. So on Wednesday, United Aircraft Russia announced it had resumed the test flight program for its MC-21-300 Airbus aircraft after a pause to calibrate operations in compliance with coronavirus measures. The Russian manufacturer's alternative to an Airbus has now completed most or half of its flights needed to secure its certification. So after a break in its test flight schedule, the uh, MC-21-300 once took uh, to the skies from the Gromov Flight Research Institute, 40 kilometres outside of Moscow on Monday this week. The aircraft's manufacturer, uh, UAR, United Aircraft Russia, said the tests have been interrupted for a brief time because of the government's recommendations to minimise the spread of the COVID-19. Having tweaked its operations uh, with remote working, uh, not for the pilots, obviously, the schedules for main program tasks, it uh, once more has the twin engine back in the air. It hopes for tests to be completed by the end of the year and to roll out its first jet in Aeroflot livery by 2021. Four aircraft are participating in the trials. Together they have now completed a little over 300 test flights out of the 650 needed for Russian certification. So far, there are orders for 174 of these aircraft uh, to 14 airlines. And uh, it may require another 350 or so flights under its belt before the model will be certified for commercial production. But UAC Russia is optimistic about the progress it's making. In a statement released on Wednesday, the manufacturer said it stepped up the frequency of test flights for the model since the beginning of 2020 and that the new systems allow it to measure up to 40,000 in-flight parameters. Uh, The aircraft has performed flights at altitudes and speeds uh, characteristic of commercial flight. And specifically, the flights have been focused on testing extreme angles of attack and flutter tests. 
the test pilots have also carried out engine uh, various aero engine assessments and takeoffs and landings with simulated engine failures. The aircraft instrument landing system, or ILS as we all know, as well as navigation systems, landing equipment and external lighting have also been evaluated with nighttime test flights. Furthermore, UAC Russia said that each plane had been manufactured taking previous test flight results into account and it had been improved several systems. It also said that it's focusing a significant efforts on software development and testing. That's always a good idea, as we know. According to Russian news agency uh, RIA Novosti, the four aircraft that are being used for the test flights look slightly different on the inside. Two of them have already, have already been equipped uh, with proper passenger cabins, uh, one in a two-cast configuration based on 163 seats and one with an all-economy lag with 211 seats. The very first Irkut MC-21-300 rolled out of the factory in Siberian city of Irkutsk on the 8th of June 2016 and it was first airborne on the 28th of May 2017. This after a significant delay the UAC has initially intended to introduce the plane in 2012 and the fourth was introduced into the test program on the 25th of December last year. All of the MC-21s in the air so far are powered by Pratt & Whitney's PW1400G engines. However, Erka is completing the first of the models fitted with the Avidagatel PD-14s, uh, the locally made turbofans, uh, which will be a second engine option to the aircraft. So, come on, guys. This aircraft doesn't look at all like an Airbus, yeah? <laughs> Uh, it looks pretty close. <laughs> it looks a little bit like one, uh, and I don't even know what they look like. Um, it's just, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it is, I, I don't know, I mean, we were having a conversation about this before it the lo show. It, it, looks, it looks like a Comac, let's put it that way. Yeah. It looks like, the, so basically the Russians are copying, the Chinese were copying no one, of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> Highly right. controversial. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, uh, this is. I mean, surely there's an element of. The, I mean, I mean, obviously they presume they aren't. You know, breaching um, patents. Obviously, otherwise there'd be lawyers involved already by now. But I mean, to a certain degree, there must be an element of not being able to reinvent. You know, you're reinventing the wheel for the sake of reinventing the wheel. Do you know what I mean? I, th I think from the front I view, and I think from the front view, it it looks different but the side view picture that it's got at the top of this story from the side on view just you know if you sort of squint your eyes a little bit it's it's an airbus yeah <laughs> okay yes uh, you think more than more than a it looks more like an airbus than it does a 737 i, I think so yeah. yeah i think this looks more like an airbus than the 73 what, what do you think armando yeah they're they're marketing it as a 737 Max alternative, but it certainly does look like an Airbus. Um, and, and it, you know, it's kind of funny that it does have Pratt and Whitney's on it. So, um, <laughs> you know, we had a note here that that uh, Nick is a proponent of this because it's always good to have competition. So, to have another aircraft manufacturer, another engine manufacturer in the mix is always good for competition, and probably will will generate more. Uh, innovation. It, I, I find that, you know, whether or not it looks like, because I'm on the fence, I'm, I'm, I'm like Matt, at the end of the day, there's not 25,000 ways to do an aircraft. Although, they, <laughs> although the A220, so the Bombardier C-Series, 
100, 200 are very defined, so mm. they're not like anything else. So, um, what I really, and you can see that on a picture, what I really dislike is like literally the, 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 the font they're using for the launch is almost a copy of the colors of Airbus. That's also what triggers us to think that is that they are going for you know, the, the paint job they did mm. that, that kind of invokes, the, the back invokes Boeing, the front invokes Airbus. It's like, can you not be original and find something, you know, there, different? There, and there, there be, must be a designer out there somewhere who would have been able to give it a sort of like a fresh look, you know. Uh, I don't know. It's interesting, however, that, you know, because since the, uh, the crash of uh, 1492, so Sukhoi, uh, what was it, last year, um, Sukhoi has been downgraded as, you know, all the, the Russian manufacturers are part of a single, I think, United Aerospace or something like that. I don't remember the name, United Alliance of Aerospace or something. And uh, so Aircut and Sukhoi were on par. So they were uh, like uh, equals. So both separate companies were part of this alliance. And now the government told Sukhoi, no, no, now you are... You are uh, just uh, under the orders of Urquhart. So actually, Urquhart is now the prime company, apparently, that they are that the Russians are pushing forward to be the the the, the holder of the flame, not Sukhoi anymore. So we might see this, but I I don't know. I mean, it's good to have competition, but it's maybe a bad market too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Nick Codling in the in the ch- chat room is actually saying that uh, there's a history of Russians taking inspiration from the West, the the TU-144, the Buran, etc. Yeah. Although, as a mechanical engineer, I'm always happy to seek inspiration from what's gone before. And I mean, it, it, there's a lot to be said for that, isn't it? Is it like like we're we're saying, Paul? It's like sometimes it, you know, perhaps it isn't worth reinventing the well, wheel. And I, there is, of course, I, a very this is a slightly controversial. But there's a strong possibility that this thing could be this king thing could be actually in the air in service probably before the max gets back in the air <laughs> mm. honestly guys i've seen i've seen the buran so the the copy of the space shuttle yeah it's the same guys like that's it's not only an inspiration in, uh, nick it's actually a copy i didn't go inside obviously but yeah come on yeah. come yeah. on let's let's not sit on the fence here it is essentially a direct copy yeah <laughs> uh, there'll so be a man, lawyer in touch any minute yeah <laughs> I, I was looking at the story number 10 and for some bizarre reason matt captain al came to mind but i'll let you read this next story all oh, right okay i'm slightly frightened now uh, <laughs> okay so uh, this is uh, from ain on online basically and it says carbon neutral oh, i see what you did there yeah <laughs> carbon neutral farnborough uh doesn't rest on its green laurels uh so uh, business aviation is an easy target for those who argue that aviation's impact on the environment is too high to be sustainable and the industry might well find itself under scrutiny again this week with the observation of the observance sorry of the annual earth day which i think was actually the 22nd of april this year wasn't it Uh, and it's called to take action against damaging climate change rather than just deflect the inevitable the inevitable criticism with well-practiced lines about this mode of transportation's balancing contribution to economic good farnborough airport in the uk decided in 2007 to aspire to a more definitive and voluntary response by setting itself the goal of going carbon neutral so nine years later in june 2018 the privately owned air uh, business aviation gateway achieved that goal when it became the first airport in the sector to achieve carbon neutral status as defined by the airport's council international level three plus airport carbon accreditation program blowing that's a bit of a mouthful uh, it achieved this more than a year ahead of its planned schedule uh, in the process farnborough cut its carbon dioxide co2 emissions 
emissions by 42%, reducing it by 2,183 tonnes per year. And this total has continued to fall since then. Any carbon still being emitted is then offset through approved programmes to mitigate the impact of its activities on the environment. We wanted to be ahead of the curve on this issue. We wanted to show that we recognise our impact on the environment and show that we are doing something about it, said Farnborough Airport's environment manager, Miles Thomas. With a degree in biological sciences and past experience as an air traffic controller, he was recruited in 2007 and led uh, efforts to start the journey to carbon neutrality by making a a sustainability charter a key of the airport's master plan, spanning 10 years from 2009 and then onwards to 2030. The sustainability charter addressed just about every aspect of Farnborough's operations, including carbon emissions, noise, air and water quality, and of course waste disposal. Uh, we need to make uh, we need to take no uh, to take a no stone unturned approach to make this meaningful, Thomas said uh, to this uh, magazine. Uh, so what measures are they taking in order to meet these impressive targets? Mr Thomas said, raising awareness and understanding amongst all the people in your organisation is critical and we had to get uh, environmental responsibility into everybody's job description uh, in a strategy that came down directly from the board. The main focus was on lowering our carbon footprint uh, and reducing our consumption of energy. The first port of call was to stop using heating oil and switch to natural gas throughout its buildings. This included some of the 1950s vintage hangers. All pipes were insulated and uh, distra- Ooh, now there's a word. distractification fans were I- installed to reduce heat loss as well as automatic heat cutoffs when doors are being opened. Meters accurately log energy consumption and that is reviewed four times a year to assess what further improvements could be made. They installed more efficient lighting, replacing tungsten and sodium lamps with LED, 60% less power and also far less light pollution. Uh, solar panels are being used on uh, various buildings where possible. Uh, to record air quality, there are 13 monitoring devices to measure uh, nitrous oxide levels around the site and more in various locations across the town of Farnborough that collect samples every 30 minutes. This is part of the compliance process for the local government planning rules under which the airport was allowed to increase the number of permitted annual movements to 50,000. The airport is also required to test water quality in local streams, runoffs uh, to guard against uh, contamination caused by uh, spillage from its operations. Also covered by the same rules are requirements to record aircraft noise with monitors at either end of the runway Uh, through the web track portal local residents can monitor movements to see for themselves whether operations are adhering to the required flight paths on the 27th of February the new standard instrument departure and arrivals routing took effect as part of a new class D airspace zone approved by the the UK Civil Aviation Authority the new routings allow aircraft to climb faster in controlled airspace resulting in less noise for surrounding residential areas Uh, also key to its success is not sending any waste materials to landfill it recycles everything using service uh, using services based here in the UK rather than shipping overseas and finally the the company incentivizes employees to use public transport bicycles or ride shares to get to and from work they can earn themselves vouchers that can be then used in uh, staff canteen there is more to this but these that's basically the the key points here now I mean it's uh, I suppose in some respects, obviously, uh, Farnborough is a, a, a much smaller air, airport than, say, like our, our, our major hubs. Um, but, I mean, do you think um, 
let's go with Carlos here. I mean, do you think this is um, a model they could apply to someone like Stansted or Heathrow? Um, is, you can remember, Matt, that that, um, that they're two different kind of airports, you know, Farnborough yeah. and, and, and kind of Big and Hill as such as well. They're very predominantly business air, you know, business aircraft. So smaller, smaller, smaller like business, business jets, jets right. yeah. They're both very busy airports, you yeah. know, don't get me wrong, um, Farnborough especially. Um, but obviously with the bigger airports such as Stansted, you've got you've then got the commercial airliners, plus there's also still business aircraft that do fly to Stansted as well. So it would be harder for an airport, I think, like um Stansted size to to get that to get that level. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Okay, uh on to the next story then. And uh, Armando, I think this is with you, is it not? Hey guys, I actually had to look up where St. Helena was. Oh. And so I didn't know it. So before we go into it, for anybody that doesn't know, if you were to draw a line between Angola and Brazil and put a dot in the middle of the ocean, that's where St. Helena is. So UK charter airline Titan Airways has become the first operator to land an Airbus on the island of St. Helena in the South Atlantic, following an arrival on 20th of April in an A318. The narrow body was chartered by the UK government to carry medical staff and 2.5 tons of essential medical supplies for the residents of its overseas territory. It departed Titan's base at London Stansted, flew to St. Helena via Accra, Ghana, and Ascension Island, uh, the crew also performed six landings for crew training, according to Titan, in an anticipation of future flights to the island. St. Helena is a Category C airport requiring specific crew training and regulatory approval due to known wind shear issues encountered on final approach. Titan acquired the ex-British Airways 318 in 2017 and set about installing a crew rest area to extend flight duty periods for long-haul operations. They have 12 uh, single and twin aisle aircraft for commercial aircraft, uh, cargo and VIP charter, including A320s, A321s, two Boeing 757s, two 737-400s, and one 767-300. Um, so some of the other notes that we had is uh, crew training, right, this is probably one of those airports that you just don't go in willy-nilly for the first time without seeing it. <laughs> so they probably had somebody that was previously qualified on the airport advising or training some new pilots to get in into there. And uh, St. Helena is one of these places where the basically it's either by boat or by, by airplane, and uh, airplane is a lot quicker to get there, but this is the only way to get to and from this island. Um, there was some some uh, statements issued basically by the government saying, well, we know this is exciting, but uh, please don't come to the airport because we're one of the few places on this planet right now that actually don't have the coronavirus. Ah, right. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. And looking at the geography, if you look it up, you can see why it hasn't made it quite there. So pretty cool uh, story from... Uh, yeah. From this carrier. Yeah, yeah. Well, and again, it's sort of like you know providing services of rural routes and things like that, isn't it? It's uh, it's uh, it's it's sort of a step in the right direction, certainly. Uh, Carlos, it's yeah, it looks like a nice place to be um, to be kind of uh, in lockdown. 
for the for the video. You know, I, I did a little like a little Google Earth uh, flyby of the island, and it reminds me a lot of uh, Aruba and Curacao, which are Caribbean islands, but they're actually volcanic, generally dry desert islands, and it probably would be like one of these places. Just file it in the back of your mind for the next zombie apocalypse, and yes. <laughs> Maybe so, we're all, we'll all end up broadcasting from St. Helena together. Right. Okay. I mean, that, that's something to look forward to, Armando. Great idea. Uh, <laughs> okay. now, this, this, next, this next story, um, we, we've heard in the past about uh, military jets drawing certain items in the sky, which we can't mention on the show because this is a family-friendly show. <laughs> but, uh, Paul, uh, what, uh, what, what shapes have been drawn by commercial airliners that's very cool yeah it's on the on the website simpleflying.com uh hi guys they're, they're very cool they, they 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 write all the time about stories like every five seconds is a new story about um the aviation industry yeah they, they write this time about iceland air the pilot shares the love with a heart-shaped flight path so no it didn't just do the heart rate uh, it did he departed, uh, where was it? He departed from Shanghai on 1.34 p.m. The aircraft initially climbed to a height of 34,000 feet before dropping down to 30,000. Why do I have all this information? I don't know, because probably the, it's all on flight radar 24. Uh, so he went through China, Mongolia, Russia, Finland, Sweden, Norway before starting the, its descent over Iceland at 17.45. Uh, and 25 minutes later... Uh, 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 when is it? Hold on, because I'm trying to... This makes no sense. But around 25 minutes later, the aircraft stopped its descent at, at 2,500 feet to the southeast of Iceland, capital city, Reykjavik. The aircraft then flew over the city at still 2,500 feet in the shape of a heart. The process took 12 minutes from 18.13, so 6.13, to uh, 6.25. And then following the heart flight, as he called it, the pilots proceeded towards Keflavik, which is the airport of uh, uh, Reykjavik, home, home of Iceland there, where they landed at 1636. So basically the article is about the exact minute-by-minute minute description of Flight Radar 24. Yeah, it's, 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 very, it's very cool. There was another in the same article where uh, a small private aircraft uh, flew uh, around the Swiss border and basically drew, a, as you know, guys, I'm from Switzerland myself. I was born in Geneva, so yeah, they drew the entire border that's less nice than uh, the the heart there was uh, two pilots in germany that uh, uh it was on easter so it was uh what is easter i don't know because i'm an or- i'm also greek orthodox and i don't have the same days for easter than you guys so i uh so easter of catholic easter they drew a bunny an easter bunny uh, <laughs> over berlin and that's uh, that's actually pretty cool and there was another one over uh, Karlsfeld, I think. And, and that's what I really like. Uh, there was an Austrian pilot who drew uh, what is a plea, of course, to all of us. He drew stay home on top on, of Austri- uh, Austria. Uh, obviously, not the entire Austria, but that stay home. That's only private. But yeah, Iceland there, a uh, heart. And of course, it was a Boeing 767 that had flown from Shanghai to Reykjavik. And Continuing in the same breath, uh, Turkish airline to celebrate the 100th uh, anniversary of the Grand National Assembly of Turkey. Uh, two minutes of history buff here. Um, 
my family actually comes from what is Turkey nowadays. It was, of course, the Ottoman Empire. And the, the Grand National Assembly of Turkey predates the birth of Turkey. It was the first uh, government uh, that was created there. Uh, it was created on April uh, uh, 20, uh, 1920. These were the guys that fought the Ottomans. So basically, after three years, created what is nowadays Turkey. So that's why this date is very important in Turkey. So happy birthday, happy anniversary to our Turkish friends. And uh, Turkish Airlines celebrated this day in a special way with a 777-300ER. They completed a two-hour and 38-minute flight over Turkey, flying from Ankara, the capital, to Ankara, the capital. <laughs> uh, and they drew the biggest ever national fly flag in the sky. That's pretty awesome, actually. That is really cool. There's a nice attention to detail there, actually, given the size of the aircraft and stuff. I think they'd, I think that's a pretty impressive get go at it, it has to be said. Super cool. Yeah. It's super cool. So kudos to Turkish Airlines for having done that and to the pilots for having done that as well. It's really cool. I mean, I assume they had, a, you know, a, approval and everything to do such things. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I, I hope so, especially with that triple you yeah. know uh, yeah. 77w i mean no 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 <laughs> yeah. move away we're, yeah. we're doing an easter bunny and the crescent yeah. and the star <laughs> and stay home <laughs> i can only imagine the ifr flight plan for that and them asking for their clearance and the controller just saying you know what cleared as filed national flag you got it yeah, yeah. <laughs> go nuts yeah <laughs> <laughs> But super cool, I love it. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice place to, to bring the commercial segment to us to nice. end, isn't it? We we like that. A nice nice feel good mm. story to end the end the commercial segment with. But moving swiftly on with the next segment of the show, so those of you might have uh, seen last week that uh, a certain Mister Bounds put together a nice little highlights reel of what we've been doing uh, over the last kind of year and stuff and the air shows. A kind of kind of. Bits and pieces, good mm. uh, bits. And, uh, well, Matt, we're going to um, play that uh, yeah, absolutely. for everyone to yeah, see. Yeah. He's, he's got a few part. of these up his sleeve, I think. So uh, we've got, we've got a, a few weeks to look forward to this. But as I say, it, it, a reminder of, uh, let's say, happier times, shall we? And if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, then you will find that that uh, video is available to watch as a separate file on our YouTube link. Uh, YouTube page, check yourself there. You can have a look at it. And uh, it's worth a view. As I say, it's a real sort of fond reminder, if you like, of, of slightly uh, slightly cheerier times. Although, uh, to be fair, Richard, I think Richard Adams was saying, actually, our, our, our next meetup perhaps should be on the island of St. Helena, I think. <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. <laughs> no, I love and love those videos. They yeah, um, bring back some really good memories and stuff of uh, mm. what we've done. So, uh, yeah, well, well, th- mm. well done. Thanks for that, Nev. Yeah, absolutely. I- He's busy, but uh, he, he might be dipping in and out. You never know. You never know. Uh, Rosie, I'm, I, I, I'm so surprised he flew Finnair and not BA. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I know. But, uh, Nev, I love you because my mother was from Finland, so there you go. You make um, me proud. <laughs> that's Excellent. true. It's true. That's, yeah, it's, I know. That's good. I know. Uh, so, okay, I, I'm sorry to be the bearer of slightly bad news, but uh, we need to sort of bash our way through the military because we are... Yes, let's go. We, let's we, hand things over to yeah. Armando. We are overrunning uh, massively. Uh, <laughs> Matt, play the stinger. Yeah, okay, go, go, go. <laughs> Thank you. 
All right, guys. So this first uh, military story is pretty significant. On April 17, 2020, the U.S. Air Force announced that it will no longer base strategic bombers outside of the continental United States. So this marks an end to the service's uh, 16-year continuous bomber presence at Anderson Air Force Base in Guam, amongst other places. So Jonathan Warner will be disappointed that he won't have a bunch of bombers to look at, at least not on a regular basis. Um, but as the pictures in this article show and that our Matt is going to show, uh, this impressive elephant walk included five B-52, uh, six KC-135 tankers, uh, an M6, MH-60 Nighthawk, an RQ-4 Global Hawk, and an U.S. Navy MQ-4 Triton. Uh, they were all staged before the last bomber left the island to what they say is remind the world of the USAF's combat power. Not that anybody needs reminding. Uh, the U.S. strategic bombers will continue to operate in the Indo-Pacific to include Guam as the timing and tempo of our choosing, said Air Force Global Strike Command in a statement. We will maximize all opportunities to train alongside our allies and our partners to build interoperability and bolster our collective ability to be operationally unpredictable. Once again... Lots of words, not sure what the meaning is. Uh, so this new dynamic force employment, quotes, uh, a model of allows the bombers to operate from a uh, broader array of overseas locations, according to them, with greater resilience while keeping the aircraft permanently based in the U.S. Uh, according to Air Force magazine, this last deployment ended on April 16th, just uh, days before the elephant walk. The B-52s returned to Minot Air Force Base, North Dakota, uh, which is out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, Long-expected change comes as service leaders, including the Air Force Chief of Staff General Dave Goldfein and uh, Air Force Global Strike Command General Timothy Ray, said that dynamic deployments of task force-sized groups of bombers will be more effective in the future. I'll save you some time and just basically say... In these current times where we are looking at cost-cutting measures, while at the same time increasing the capabilities of a lot of these aircraft, including our global reach capability, so that is tankers, maintenance, uh, supplies, and and maintainers, uh, it is now feasible to base all of these aircraft in the U.S. and just have them go out on a rotational basis. So that's going to significantly decrease the footprint, at least, of strategic bombers outside of the U.S. I'm sorry, Armando, because I'm, 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 I say I'm sorry because I'm totally, I, I don't know anything about military aircraft in operations. N- does, neither, does, we, neither do we, Paul. That's why we have an Armando. That, <laughs> you're in the majority. Does, 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 that, does that mean that these bases are being downsized in any way, like less also personnel? Yeah, so they'll, they'll probably lose, you know, any permanently based squadrons there, uh, including maintenance and then all the support functions. So for every aviator, every person, you have a certain amount of support personnel, whether that's uh, medical, flight records, operations, air traffic controllers. So all of those things, if you don't have permanently base paced personnel there or a reduction in that number, you're going to have to reduce. It doesn't make sense to keep a full force of people just like any oh. business would. So, a lot of those functions would probably now be carried out from uh, the continental U.S., especially some of the administrative functions. So you'll probably just 
It'll be more cost efficient to deploy a maintenance force and a maintenance package out with those aircraft as they go out for a, a two-month rotation or a three-month rotation or something like yeah. that. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, on to the next story then. Carlos, I think this is you, isn't it? Yeah, story. Next one is, uh, this one is on the aerobaticteams.net website. And uh, headline, Thunderbirds and Blue Angels planned flyovers at many locations. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That's all uh, right. Sorry. We can go... Go ahead and I'll, press with it, Carlos. Sorry, I'm, 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 just reading, I'm just reading our producer's show notes. Yeah, but producer chat. has changed the notes in the past five minutes. So yes. just oh, pay okay. attention, <laughs> Carlos. Pay attention. <laughs> I've, got, I've, got, I've got chat. I've got the company. Oh, yeah, honestly, the here chat. come the excuses. Yeah. Brace yourself. <laughs> That's why he's a first officer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See what you did. Oh, I like that. Okay. Well, actually, this story I don't like for, for one very good reason. That's because they're on about getting rid of the tornado which i've got some very fond memories of actually oh, really from uh, a few years back at riyadh when uh, we had the chance to um have a look around uh, one of these before the royal air, uh, royal air force binned them off oh okay just over a year ago but uh, yeah this one german defense minister angret camp has told the u.s government that the uh, berlin has given clearance uh, for the Luftwaffe to acquire 45 Super Hornet and Growler aircraft. And these are to replace uh, replace the Tornado, unfortunately. But uh, the Boeing FA-18F Super Hornet and the EA-18G Growler um, um, buy to partially satisf uh, satisfy the Luftwaffe's Tornado replacement requirement has been approved by the German government. Uh, the service, in fact, plans to replace 90 Panavia Tornadoes, uh, Strike Aircraft, Electronic Combat Reconnaissance, ECR aircraft, with 85 new platforms from 2025. And for this reason, German Defence Minister Angret kramp grobauer has told the US government that Berlin has given clearance for the Luftwaffe to acquire 45 Super Hornets and Growler aircraft. The 30 F-18F multi-role and 15 EA-18G Growlers uh, would uh, enable the Luftwaffe to fulfil its airborne nuclear strike and EA requirements within the required timeframes, Kramp Graufbauer said in mid-April, according to uh, Jane's. The remaining 40 aircraft would comprise uh, of additional Eurofighters to add to the 143 already in service. Of these 38 early tranche 1 aircraft are set to be replaced by the same number of tranche 3 aircraft under Project uh, Project. Quadriga. Uh, while uh, Despiegel has reported Crambauer's comments to her US counterparts, Secretary Mark Esper, uh, no official announcement has been made and no contracts have been signed, apparently. Uh, an announcement was expected at the ILA Berlin show in May, and despite that event recently being cancelled due to the coronavirus, an announcement is still expected in approximately the same time frame, although it's unclear as to whether this will be a down select a type or type selection. As we have previously explained, it says on the story that Germany plans to use the Boeing Super Hornets to fill a NATO requirement to field uh, fighter aircraft capable of dropping the B-61 nuclear gravity bomb. Oh, that sounds really space <laughs> A role currently played within the Luftwaffe by the Tornadoes. All right, now, come yeah, on. We've got, to throw, we've got to throw this one to Armando. Come on. Do you think that's a good idea, or do you think they should stick with, you know, the, the Tornado, which Carlos is very much in love with? I, I do like that. Super ironically... 
the Super Hornet was never approved to carry a nuclear weapon. Ooh. So they're actually going to have to go through a certification process to do this. The legacy, the legacy Hornet was, but not the Super Hornet. So, um, you know, I love the Tornado also. You know, it's just a, a wonderful aircraft. What a history. But uh, having the F-18s join the Luftwaffe is uh, a step in the right direction. You have to have an, an airplane that's interoperable with all the other air forces and has the parts. I, I think maintaining a tornado nowadays is going to be pretty difficult. So having super hornets out there and having some commonality with some with your allied partners that surround you, you can you can probably maintain them and do some joint operations just a little bit better. They used to fly yeah. over where you work, actually, Matt, the tornado. Oh, do they? Just as some, yeah. Just, they, they ah, okay. And therefore over here, because it's not far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were incredible. They weren't the quietest no, I of, can imagine. Uh, no. military chains. No, absolutely. Uh, there we go. Anyway, the last uh, story is with you. We've had a bit of a tease of it already. Um, uh, Armando, what are the details yeah, about this then? Yeah, we'll just kind of wrap it up. If you guys go onto YouTube, you probably see some really good videos. I think we played one out last week we did, yeah. of the Thunderbirds doing a flyover Las Vegas in order to honor the frontline workers in this coronavirus. So that apparently was popular enough that the <laughs> – I can say this because I was in the Air Force. The Navy has decided to join up and be as cool as us. <laughs> oh, so the Blue Angels, nice. the Blue That's, Angels have decided to do uh, the same thing. I only kid because they're doing a joint operation over the next couple uh, weeks. So here are some dates for you, right? So before this airs, let's see. Today is the twenty fourth of April. That'll go out on the twenty fifth. So. Probably the next chance that you're going to have to see them is that April 26th, the Thunderbirds will fly over New Orleans and Oklahoma City. On April 27th, the Blue Angels will go over Jacksonville, Miami, Tampa, and Tallahassee. On April 29th, Nashville, Indianapolis, Detroit, and Chicago. They're going to have to do some aerial refueling between those two places. Uh, <laughs> April 29th, the Thunderbirds are going to be in Southern California. April 30th, they're going to the Blue Angels in Hampton Roads. That's Norfolk, Virginia Beach uh, area. And then... Uh, the Thunderbirds are going out to the Pacific Coast or the left coast going out to Portland and Seattle. May 2nd is the next chance to catch a joint flyover between the Thunderbirds and the Blue Angels. And on May 2nd, they will fly over Dallas, Houston, Austin, Kingsville, Corpus Christi, and San Antonio, Texas. Because as everybody knows, Texas is big enough that it's going to take them a couple hours to do all of that. So there you go. Catch one of these joint flyovers, take some pictures, send them into the PTUK WhatsApp or send them into the uh, PTUK uh, email address so we can get some firsthand uh, experience with these. If you remember, Matt, back mm -hmm. in 2017, me and you uh, saw the Thunderbirds at a certain air show in Pittsburgh that we went to. Oh, of course we did. Yes, yes, mm. yes, yes. That was... Ooh, what, three years ago now, was it? Three yeah. years? Something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I, I love that the hits keep on coming. Uh, Lane Street in the chat room says, yes, the Blue Angels have agreed to slow down so the Thunderbirds can keep, keep up. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, saw, I, saw a different, I saw a different video online. A awesome. uh, different video online of the Blue Angels on pretty close formation, and then the Thunderbirds were just a little bit further apart, and it said uh, something to the effect of, well, look at the... The Thunderbirds 
being uh, socially conscious and socially responsible. <laughs> social distancing, absolutely. Yeah, practicing social distancing <laughs> while the Blue Angels still continue to fly in formation. Yes, absolutely, With you know, where they could basically sort of shake each other's hands. Uh, although, oh, interestingly yeah. enough, he thinks that uh, Richard Adam thinks the most perfect scenario to this would be to get Captain Al to commentate on it. I think I would pay money to hear Captain Al commentating. <laughs> if, if, you heard, if you heard what Captain Al called the Thunderbirds when yes, we were at Pittsburgh, yeah. it's probably not a good idea. Oh, I think it would be brilliant. I think it well, We'd never be allowed in the country again, but it would be brilliant. No. No. <laughs> well, there you go. That's your military for the week. Oh, dear. I'll tell you what, Armando. We do this to you every single week where we massively overrun on the commercial. <laughs> uh, what, I think what we should do, and ho- hopefully John is listening to this, I reckon next week, just for a change, we're going to do the military first. Yeah. Let's first, do the military yes, first. Yes, there yes. We are. Let's do that. Idea. Yeah, yeah. We'll do the military stories first next week. Oh, okay. boy. We're going to lose half our listeners. No, we're not. No, no. No, we'll probably gain a load. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, uh, Carlos, uh, we we have some audio feedback to share. Yeah, we do. We have had some really, really nice audio feedback come in from listener Chris Marsh. Mm. And uh, actually, for those of you who are watching the YouTube video stream tonight, you'll probably notice that Matt's got a really, really nice picture Mm. in the background behind him of an air ambulance. So this is Chris uh, Chris Marsh's feedback, which uh, in the feedback he's sharing his recent experience of shooting uh, with the air ambulance uh, with his DSLR camera. Hello, PT UK. I'm Chris, and this is my first attempt at voice feedback. A few episodes ago, there was some discussion about life-saving flights that air ambulance and other emergency service units are still making while so many of us are in lockdown. I thought you might like to hear about a job that I did for my local air ambulance towards the end of last year. They fly out of RAF Wallington and cover the counties of Lincolnshire and Nottinghamshire. Although I'm a full-time photographer, I happily took on this assignment free of charge as a donation in kind to the charity. The requirement was to photograph the landing site at night to illustrate their plan to join just two other air ambulance charities in the UK that fly 24-7. Despite having been a photographer all my working life, I knew right from the start that this job would be something of a challenge. The word photography comes from the Greek for drawing with light, and the most noticeable thing about night time is that there's not a great deal of light to play with. Now, that's not so much of an issue when photographing something that doesn't move about, like, say, a building. You simply put the camera on a tripod to keep it still, and then open the shutter for as long as it takes to let in enough light to make the picture. That wasn't an option with this job, of course, because if the shutter was open for more than a fraction of a second, the movement of the helicopter would make it a a blurred and fuzzy mess, and the fast-spinning blades would probably just disappear altogether. The keen photographers among you will probably have worked out that the obvious answer to this was lighting the aircraft using flash. These flashes produce a, a very bright light, lasting from maybe a two hundredth to less than a thousandth of a second. Even using flash for lighting, though, left two problems. The first one was the distance from the aircraft that I needed to work at, both for reasons of safety and to get the aircraft properly framed in relationship to the landing area. The intensity of the flashlight on the subject drops rapidly as the distance goes up. Doubling the distance requires four times more light. Using the powerful studio flash units that I have would have been impractical on the open airfield, and so I just had to do my best with the Canon speed light that I normally carry with me. Fortunately, this is capable of concentrating the light, and by tilting it up a little bit, it was just possible to illuminate the aircraft enough to get the shots without shining too much light onto the foreground. 
There's been a lot of discussion about the use of autopilots and other automation when flying. Like the professional pilots that I've heard talk on the subject, I've always been keen to use automation when it helps me do a better job. In both photography and flying, it seems that the important thing is not just to take it on trust that the automation will get it right, but to understand and monitor what it's doing. You need to be ready to take over and do something different if the automation is not giving you the results you expect. In this case, I knew in advance that I'd need to dial in some exposure compensation. This is because the camera had no way of knowing that I was trying to record a night scene, and left on its own, the system would have tried too hard to brighten the image, which would have overexposed the helicopter. Apart from that, I was perfectly happy to set the shutter speed at a hundredth of a second, and let the camera system select the aperture, which I knew was likely to be close to wide open, and to calculate the minimum ISO setting, which would give a correct exposure for that particular configuration. I said that I foresaw two problems with using flash. One was the exposure issue, and the other was the much more important one of safety. Of course, as with everything in aviation, safety was the absolute top priority on the shoot. I arranged to sit down with the pilots several hours earlier so that we could talk through what was feasible. One thing that I wanted to be sure of was that the pilots were comfortable with me using the flash, and so we agreed that while the aircraft was still on the ground, I would take a number of shots to familiarise them and confirm that the flash was not a problem. For reasons of cost, we obviously wanted to get as many angles as possible while keeping the flight time to a minimum. The plan that we settled on in the briefing was for me, accompanied by the operations manager, to position the camera on its tripod and to take some shots while the aircraft was still on the ground. This both demonstrated the effect of the flash to the crew and it allowed me to check that the camera settings were correct. Then the aircraft lifted and made rotations, pausing at various angles to minimise movement. No matter how well you plan something, sometimes a little luck helped too. In this case, it was the late autumn weather, which produced a very slight mist. Not enough to spoil the pictures, but was just right to show the night sunbeam and to create a glow around the other lights. It generally made the images much more atmospheric than they would have been otherwise. While we waited for darkness, there was a lot of time available to chat with the air and the medical crew. I already knew that here in the UK, all the flight operations are completely funded by voluntary donations. What I did not know was that the donations are needed to pay for all the medical equipment too. Even basic things like splints and ventilator tubes and blankets. For all charities, fundraising is hard at the best of times, and even more difficult now we have social distancing. So I would encourage you to take a look at the website of your local air ambulance or similar organisation in your own country, and if you can, make a donation. That way we can make sure that a helicopter flight is always available to people when they really, really need one. Stay safe. And what fantastic advice that is, isn't it? I mean, it is a, a difficult time that we found ourselves in, it, of course. And uh, I must admit, I didn't realise that. I, I knew, obviously, that the flights themselves were all uh, uh, sort of funded, if you like, uh, by the donations. I didn't realise the equipment that was on board was also uh, completely voluntary donation-driven. It is wrong, so isn't wrong. it? Well, and, and yet, the, you know, we all rely so heavily on it. That's the crazy thing about mm. it, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, no, there's no reason why that shouldn't, this, uh, essential services like that shouldn't be at least, if not full, fully, but part funded by, by the government, but there you go. Yeah, it's not likely to happen, is it? No. Great, great pictures, huh? 
aren't they? Aren't they amazing? Yeah. Yeah. As, yeah. I say, yeah. it's, uh, as I say, and just over my shoulder here, as I say, if I just duck out of the way, look. It's uh, it's it's fantastic, isn't it? It's uh, maybe we need to have a little chat uh, with him. Perhaps perhaps he could share with us a few of his trade secrets for you know taking photographs of uh, of aircraft in the air and things like that. I'm sure we, be we've well got some, we've got some very good photographers in our um, we have, in, our little com- in our little community, yeah. haven't we? I feel a segment coming on. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I I gotta admit, I would love to hear about that, especially shooting in those light conditions. You know, low light conditions with. Uh, spinning propellers and things like that. Yeah, I'd love to know how to do that. Mm. Indeed. Uh, right, as I say, we are rapidly running out of time. We need to have a chat to Paul, really. Paul. Have, a, have a quick quick yarn yeah. with Paul. So, so Paul, how, how are things over at the layovers? And, uh, yeah, how, how's Alex doing these days? Well, he's uh, like a lot of uh, fathers. He's... Uh, Teaching Miserable. himself to become a... To be, no, 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 no. He's, he's teaching himself to become a teacher because, you know, everybody is doing homeschooling and stuff, something I don't know anything about. So, yeah, no, everything is fine, guys. It's uh, weird for the both of us not to travel, but for all of you guys and for everybody who's listening. So, you know, it's, it is what it is. We're, you know, we're, we're lucky. We both have... Uh, solid foundations and so our, our businesses are okay because I know a lot of people, friends of mine have lost their jobs, friends of mine in the air, air, um, aviation industry but also in the travel industry already started losing their jobs so you know I'm not going to complain at all, it's, it's okay. You know I, you asked me at, a, at the top of the show if I miss traveling, yeah of course I do but you know it is what it is, well we'll get through this, we'll, we'll, we'll get through this. So I, I just... Because, you know, I know the show is running late. So I just basically want people to, uh, to hang in there because, again, it must not be easy for everyone. You know, if you, depending on your situation, work situation, relationship situation, wherever, depending where you live, etc. It's not an easy time. But we'll get through this. We'll fly again, guys. Don't worry. No gloom and gloom. We will fly again. It will be fun, as it always is. Obviously, Paul, you, you do a hell of a lot of flying, especially in the Middle East and stuff. And, you know, when this all started and, and that you were still in mid-flow flying, obviously, out of, out of Dubai and stuff, I'm guessing that all your flights, you know, leading after that have all been reimbursed. So, uh, yeah, yeah, but it's, it's, it's different. It's because... Uh, uh, I don't want to say that in a way that makes me look that I'm the smartest guy in the room because I know it will be a little bit like that. I felt this coming very early. So I myself canceled all my flights on February 10th. So February 10th, I just left the two ones that I had. To, I had to go twice to Dubai, two weeks in a row. So February 10th, actually, I think that was a Monday and February 18th, 17th, whatever. Um, and I canceled everything else. So all my March flights and April flights, I canceled them myself before this become, became big, but I had uh, most of them were fully refundable. So uh, yeah, it was off. I was not happy about doing it because it was supposed to be in you know San Francisco, Tokyo and other places. I, I work a lot in Asia, and of course I wasn't happy, but it was not a, it was not an issue at all to, uh, to, to do that. It's, uh, I was trying, it was really hard to strike a, a right chord because when I was doing episode 105, I think, yeah, 105, I did a 30-minute monologue at the, at the very start of it, and uh, it's not, I could never have seen, and nobody could have never have seen like, you know, all you know, pretty much like more than 100 airlines being, you know, not flying and having all these issues. But I felt something was coming, but I didn't, 
it's not that I didn't want, I didn't want to be fear mongering, but also I didn't want to believe it myself. I was like, this is not going to go well. But you know, it's like, like I said again at the start, you're watching a movie and like, come on, it cannot be that bad. It won't be that bad. It's impossible. We're not going to shut down all the borders. We're not going to shut down the airports. We're not going to, we're not going to, and actually everything happened. And you're like, for a while, I mean, all of us were looking at the news and like, this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. This, you know, literally every single country shut down. So yeah, it's, uh, so to answer your question, it was a long way answer. It was not a, an issue. I, I saw it a bit early that this would happen to, to do uh, to the travel companies I work with, you know, again uh, in the uh, air travel, but travel in general, it's no fun at all. Tourism boards and all—I mean, it's—I would get through this, but it's going to be difficult. So I, I, um, we've got a qu- there's a question, yeah. Matt, isn't there, from Micah in the chat room? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, Micah's just asked how are they how are they handling your frequent flyer status now that you're not able to fly. Have they extended it with all the carriers that you have? points with yeah look i it's not my primary concern i'm first i'm not in the you know entire credit card game thing i have an amex and i get points and i use them but i've never been someone that was interested in that because it's a freaking pain and then i even have a low tolerance usually for all these you know blogs that, t- that teach you how to do whatever and i'm like oh whatever but to answer the question of Micah directly, I didn't really care, but I've received, of course, the emails. Uh, BA is not currently extending anything. They're just telling you that it's going to be easier to renew. They're going to lower the, the standards if you want to, the thresholds you have to hit. Again, they said that, but depending on when we can actually start a fly, which is uh, unknown yet. Um, and then uh, Emirates has extended, I think, 12 months, I think. Uh, Singapore as well. Uh, Lufthansa hasn't done anything yet. Lufthansa, as I told you guys earlier, is not in a great shape. So I, to be very honest, I don't really care. I'm not going to complain. I understand people that complain because they've built that for 10 years and they rely on that to pay themselves great holidays or upgrades. So I, I, I'm not here dissing any of this, but I, to me, I'm like, uh, you know, if they were ask, if they were to ask me to give miles to charities that uh, help for COVID nineteen or for healthcare workers, I would gladly give them. It's fine if I don't have them after this. I, it's okay. It's just these are, you know, it's okay. Honestly, I mean, I, I, I suppose the only thing I'd say, sort of, uh, uh, like the argument, I suppose. Uh, in some cases, like I know, like Nev, for example, a lot of the reason why he likes collecting his points is because he uses that, like, to, like to put towards like the family holiday or whatever, you know. So it, you know, yeah, he's, yeah. Coll- he's collecting his points actually more for his own personal sort of enjoyment. No, no, I, I get that, and I do, I do too. I was just saying, for me, it's not the primary concern. No. Of course, I would not be happy if I lost all of them. Airlines have some of them, like I think. Sky Team, so France KLM have decided to extend the validity of your miles, so you're not going to lose them after you know there's some kind of renewal period. So, I, I think they're all trying to figure this out because nobody knows exactly when this is going to end. Meaning, when are we not only going to start to fly again, but also which countries are going to be open? So, depend. So, you know, it could be that I don't know. You cannot fly into Singapore for you know Australia has said they don't want to open until the end of 2020. Um, uh, the Czech Republic keeps changing, but said they don't want to open until. Uh, for one more year, un- up to one to two more years, sorry. Italy is going to open only on March 30th last, next year, so 20, 2021. We're talking about one year, guys. Uh, France is closed until September. So, And uh, it, this will keep changing, meaning at some point we'll have, even if the airlines start to fly, and they will, 
maybe some countries will be closed, or some countries will say only nationals can come in, or only, so it's going to be difficult. So I think let's give a little bit of leeway to the airlines. They're trying to survive, and although they are frequent flyer miles, are super valuable as programs themselves, and their, and their valued customer are also the first ones probably that are going to fly with them. I give them some leeway for not having the right answer to what are they supposed to do with those miles right now, because it's like, you know, if they knew it was going to last for six months, then they probably do a different decision than if they thought at first it was going to last for three weeks. So I give them some leeway. It's gonna, I don't think they were going to lose our miles. I think they, most of them in, at the end will do uh, a full renewal. They'll say, you know what, one more year for free or two more years for free. They'll have no choice. Otherwise, people are going to complain. So it's going to happen across the board. You, you reckon? Yeah. Uh, so Tony S in the chat room actually is saying that, Paul, our... Uh, are uh, IATA taking a proactive approach to passenger safety when we all start flying again, or is it up to the individual airports and airlines? Do you reckon? So I, I so I don't I, I do work for IATA. So sorry, I'm not on. I do some work for IATA, not on that side. So I cannot know what is being discussed right now. Uh, in in, in, I, I, in more sort yeah, of like viruses, he means yeah. Yeah, but my, 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 the focus of IATA is creating standards. And I think for that, it will be very valuable. Of course, right now they're, you know, trying to coordinate the different governments to discuss about bailouts and how they're going to support the airlines and what, you know, airport fees and airport parking fees, actually, that's the most important right now. So this is what their first primary concern is. But the decision of what's going to happen to, to safety, passenger safety, will be very decided by the, the different countries, blocks, EU or Asian. Or, uh, so that will be the primary. So look, if, if, if Singapore, I don't, I don't want to single out Singapore. I don't know anything about their policies. But if Singapore decides that, uh, oh, I'll take one example that is actually uh, current. Japan has decided, has told airlines that are speaking, Japan borders are still open. I mean, it's difficult, but you can. There's not a lot of airlines anyway. But they say, if when you, you fly here and you land, you mustn't have more than, I don't remember, but a certain number of passengers per flight. So they are creating social distancing within the flight. It's not the choice of whoever, BA, American, or Singapore Airlines that flies to Japan to have this limited amount of, of people is... Japan says this is the rule if you, in, the airline has to abide. It's like, you know, like the visas for the usual visas. The airline always abide by the rule of, of the state. So that's the state that will decide, the governments will decide. However, IATA will have obviously um, uh, a coordinating aspect of it, trying to make all this work together and probably eventually it will also create a standard. What will be the new health visa or health standard that has to be put every time you enter your API or every time you do, you know, uh, electronic travel authorization, which are uh, being geared up everywhere. Maybe that will be where I at. But right now, I'm not aware, personally, that I know they're discussing a bit of any initiative. They're trying, obviously, to not, you know, I don't think airlines really want to do social distancing in flight. You know, nobody wants to have like the middle seat removed. I mean, we want probably because it's better for our seating, right? But I, I it, and it's not feasible. If you remove middle seats in all aircraft, you arrive at what, 65, 68 load factor. So meaning the aircraft being filled, you're not making money or the prices are shooting up, yeah. obviously. So this is the end of cheap travel then. And mm. so, I, I mean, know. I mean, hopefully, hopefully we, you know, 
I guess it's like it, 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 what is what is the the best or worst scenario or solution to this? Is it do, do you do you run flights where they have to practice social distancing? And I mean, we all know that Ryanair, for example, obviously last week, you know, they you know he he has his reservations about the ideas that have been floated already, and he's probably right. Let's be honest, because I'm not quite sure how you're going to do it. So, is the right thing to basically stay grounded until social I, distancing? I, I, no, I don't know. No, I think anyway, you know, anyway, the ramp up will be slow. So, you know, some countries, oh, there was actually yesterday, was it today? The countries we have, it's very interesting. So I have this theory that will end up in, at least all this is temporary, guys. That's the first thing. Mm. We'll end up in a, we are in an asynchronous world, not only because governments and airports and airlines are taking different decisions at different times. So it all creates like, you know, when everything is open, you can fly. Now it's a bit complicated. So for a while, we'll have that. Some countries keep their borders shut. Some countries open them. Some countries say only you. And my theory is like we have like red zones, green zones, and yellow zones. And green zones are basically, oh, we master the virus. We find the infection rates are very low. So we're opening our borders to other red, uh, sorry, green countries. And it's actually happening right now. I think Greece, Austria, the Czech Republic, New Zealand, the missing one, are discussing a framework to being able to travel between those countries easily. So opening the airlines as well, the, air, the, the routes as well, saying, okay, you don't have a big problem with the virus. We don't have it either. So we're going to travel within each other. But we're not going to travel or we're not going to accept tourists for place, from places that have higher rates. So that's going to be a little bit for a while. So when I said the ramp up is going to be slow, is that anyway, there's not going to be a lot of flights going on, let's say, September or, or January. So the airlines will be able to have social distancing just because the, the, the flights won't be full. And, that's, and probably some governments will dictate that at the, at the start. But that, over time, will disappear. We'll get a vaccine. We'll get a hang of this. We'll learn about how to fight the virus. And for that, we'll be able to go back to normal. Not to normal, to a new state. Because a, new I, I, a new normal. A new normal. Yeah. And I, I also say back is not the right word. It's almost slip of the tongue because yeah. we all do that. It's, but it's, so it's, it's going to be possible. But it's going to take time and the airlines won't be happy. But probably the airlines will have downsides in the meantime anyway. And it's going to be, again, what I said, I think it was actually, again, answering Carlos at the top of the show, confidence. If, if the public, us, you know, especially Avgeeks, who probably want to fly, everybody wants to fly, but us will be probably more informed or we want to do it. Uh, the, the flying public that flies th- twice a year for holidays, some of them might just discard it and say, I'm fine, I trust the authorities. Some of them might be like, no way. And this is going to take a little bit of time. I'm not saying it's going to take 10 years, guys, right? I'm just saying it's going to take a little bit of time to get a hang of all this. How do we solve the virus crisis within our countries? How do we solve the public health crisis? How do we solve travel, et cetera? And travel, actually, there was a study, uh, sorry, a poll uh, survey that was made in the UK asking the British public, in terms of priorities, what do they want the government to prioritize in terms of, you know, life as it used to be? And traveling is the last one. They don't want yeah. to have any tourists coming in and say, it's fine if we don't travel. They want to first, you know, have like a bit going back to work, having seen their families. This is the priority. So I'm not saying that travel will be forgotten. I'm just saying that it will take a little bit of time. Yeah, that's true. Uh, actually, Amir, unfortunately, we've got to start wrapping up. Um, but, yeah, uh, I know, I know, I know, Amir, I know. Amir is saying that, uh, Paul, when are you and Alex going to uh, record? Are you <laughs> doing so anytime soon? I'm missing my layover soon. fix. So. Yeah, yeah, usually it's every two weeks or more than that. Uh, soon. 
promise you guys. Yeah. Soon. Uh, okay. Paul, it's, it's been amazing. Thank you so very much. No, thank you, us. guys. As always, a pleasure to be with you guys. Always. And next time, I, hopefully again in the same room. Yeah, that'd be amazing. But Carlos, yeah. the, the fastest wrap-up you could possibly manage. Manage, please. Right, don't forget, <laughs> we're going to say a big thanks quickly to everyone who's joined us on YouTube tonight. Thanks busy to everyone, all the family members. Massive, massive uh, busy chat room tonight, so thanks to everyone there. Thanks to all the audio downloaders of the show, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, all the places that you download those. Thanks for that. And if you do download via iTunes, please do give us a review because we love a nice review on there. But if you want to contact the show and if you want to send us some feedback like Chris Marsh did, which was fantastic, you can send your feedback in to the show at podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, you can also send your pictures and videos and audio po- uh, feedback in to the show via our WhatsApp number. That's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. You can send us in your bits and pieces on there and get your picture on the wall behind Matt, which will look really, really good. And don't forget as well to subscribe to our YouTube channel where you'll get notifications when we go live and you can help shape the conversation by the show by joining us in the chat room each week. And uh, don't forget, for those of you who listen to the audio show, take yourselves over to www.youtube.com, search for Playing Talking UK, and uh, you can find the video where you can find all the interesting visual content that goes on during our live show. And also, if you're doing your shopping, like I did this week twice, Matt, you'll be pleased to know, use the Amazon link on our website on the homepage, and you can uh, help us to get a few little referral fees through there as well. And lastly... A big thanks, as we do each week as well, and each month to all our Patreon donators as well. Tough times, really ridiculously tough times Mm. we're all in, but we still have a very, very, very generous Patreon group. So if you want to join the Patreon group, you can take yourselves over to the website and everything's on there so you can join us on Patreon. Absolutely. Much love uh, for you, Paul, from the chat room. Thank you so very much for being our guest today. No, thank uh, you. I want to know the name of uh, Armando's dog, however, because I keep going. (laughs) you don't see it but i see him playing he looks super cute Uh, uh, so uh, close your show guys it's fine the name will be revealed in the next episode so from me carlos here in my home studio from matt uh, across literally across the village in the ptuk studios and from armando over in the charlotte studios and from paul over in his studios take care have a great weekend stay safe everyone and See you next week. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.